Blessed be the Lord God, one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. How are you all doing today? <clears throat> Got a little bit of a sore throat. So, my name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we got we got our debate review. I've been promised, well, I, I guess I kind of threw the idea out there on VC one night. And if you're not a part of the Discord, become part of the Discord. We occasionally... Um, a few nights a week, we'll just hop on in VC, and then I'll be in there, and we'll just talk about whatever we feel like. But I threw out the idea of doing a debate review of the debate between Jake the Muslim Metaphysician and James White, because I have a problem, obviously, with Jake and then uh, with his denial of the Trinity, and then with James White's Trinitarianism. And everybody loved the idea. So here we are. Uh, this is going to take forever, um, so you guys can uh, just chill and you have any comments just uh throw them in there and i'll occasionally if you have something good or if you uh throw in a little bit of money with your uh super chat then i'll i'll answer it but this is mostly just going to be me chilling and uh just talking about what i see strong vibes from the new introduction thank you it's it was it began with just being for my pious streams then now occasionally i want to use it because it is kind of cool I did. Uh, okay, so let's look. James White versus Jake. Damn. Trinity versus Tawheed. This is an hour and 15 minutes long. So I'm going to put on one and a half times speed if you're listening to the, uh, to the review. That guy Jake is an ex-Catholic too. Oh, that's sad. That is very sad. Oh, and for my sparkling water today, <clears throat> I've never had this, but it is watermelon lime, and it's good and gather, unsweetened, made with natural flavors from Target. So that is the sparkling water which is being drank today. Okay, I'm going to share my screen. Can't do a good review if you don't have the news, bro. What? <laughs> what are you talking about the other ball? Okay, Trinity versus Tawheed. Oh yeah, I forgot you are a uh, you are a James White simp. I forgot, Paul. <sighs> okay, one and a half times speed for those re-listening. Wait, I don't need to. Oh, there it is.
Alheed. I'm James White. I'm joined by Brake Jankatella. There you go. We're, we're starting off real well. Jake Brankatella from uh, New Jersey is joining us today. He's been on the program once before. Uh, you can find his materials on YouTube uh, under the Muslim Metaphysician. Um, and I was just telling him I think he's very brave to continue to wear that particular hat. Because um, <laughs> that, that gives you an entire spectrum of people who will dislike you for all sorts of wrong reasons and right reasons. This isn't the best sparkling water, but it's pretty good. I suppose. But he uh, is joining us uh, today uh, here in... Uh, in the studio. And so let me very briefly let everybody know how this is going to go so we can jump right into it. Uh, we have about an hour and 40 minutes plus five minutes or so for this opening, I would assume, just to get things going. So about an hour and 45 minutes is what we're looking at today. Uh, we're going to have 15 minute opening statements. You need to understand that may sound like a long time to you, but if you've ever done a debate, when it's your 15 minutes, it goes by very, very quickly. When it's the other guy's 15 minutes, it seems like forever. Uh, 10 minute rebuttals, uh, followed by five minute rebuttals. And then we'll have 10 minutes of cross-examination. And then 10 minutes Tawheed, there is, especially with a topic like this, but since said, we'll just continue that work. Say anything before we I can't share my screen to show it. So, um, but that's fine. Other than that. Well, well you can share it. We just can't see your attention in my face. Well, all right. Okay. So uh, with that, um, I'm sure that Jake today, I think this is possibly a, uh, my phone issue because uh, it's out. So anyways, so we're going to start with 15 minute opening statements. Jake Brancatella has chosen to go first. So Jake, at your convenience. Yeah, and I do have a, I do have a timer, so I'm going to use it myself. But of course, you'll be monitoring it. I'm assuming as well. So um, just going to start the timer now. Okay. Bismillah. First, I appreciate the opportunity to engage Dr. White on this very important debate topic. The question before us this evening is Trinity versus Tawhid. This is not a minor difference that we can simply sweep under the rug. This is an issue that is crucial to one's afterlife. I will be defending the position of Tawhid and will be refuting the doctrine of the Trinity. The structure of my opening statement will go as follows. First, I will explain and establish Tawhid. Next, I will explain what the doctrine of the Trinity is. And last but not least, I will offer five main arguments against Dr. White's position on the Trinity. My first argument will establish that the notion of the Trinity is a bit misleading, as there are many different conceptions of the Trinity. Okay, first, yeah, that's a uh, statement that Jake is going to make a lot. And you hear it all the time uh, he, that he'll say in almost all of his videos. I did uh, try to watch a great deal of his videos, um, and I haven't been debunked yet, so... We'll, we'll see. But he speaks of the fact that there are multiple different models and views of the Trinity, but that is extremely uh, misleading. What he's basically talking about is a bunch of evangelical philosophers and theologians, some, if not most of which are heretical um, in at least one aspect of their theology. And they're putting forth all of these wacko theories uh, about the Trinity. Like that, that's that's basically it. And some of the views are, have actually been condemned by Holy Mother Church. And really the only way in which we can speak of multiple views of the Trinity is something extremely minor, like uh, there, there's a few ways in which uh, Suarez differs on how he views existence. Excuse me. And then the Franciscans generally with uh, how they view the, uh, Vasquez with uh, inashability. Um, and then also some of the ways in which the uh, Franciscans are going to view um, relative opposition and then the the monarchy of the father. So like extre extremely nuanced, like very like this will never come up in a in a debate unless it, unless they happen to ask about it. But these are extremely, extremely um, nuanced sort of uh, topics that you're going to run into there there really isn't uh much difference within a truly catholic view of the trinity that that's a that's a talking point that doesn't have much substance behind it it really has to do with the fact that um the term christian is being used in its broadest possible sense that would be like 
<clears throat> saying that there was multiple uh, Christian views of, I don't know, of the millennium because there's some weird premillennialist dispensationalists who popped up in the last 150 years. Like, yeah, no, there's really only one uh, truly Catholic view of, um, of eschatology issues when it comes to that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a rhetorical point than there being any truth behind it. And we need Dr. White to clarify where exactly he falls on the spectrum. My second argument is the fact that the Trinity cannot be known. I fall very high on the autism spectrum, if you were wondering. And we need Dr. White to clarify where exactly he falls on the spectrum. My second argument is the fact that the Trinity cannot be known apart from special revelation. My third argument is that the Trinity contradicts general revelation in that it posits a God that is not self-existent. My fourth argument is what is called the logical problem of the Trinity. You know what? I'm just going to go through all these arguments, I guess, right now. Then we can get into the details later. Of the Trinity. And we need Dr. White to clarify where exactly he falls on the spectrum. My second argument is the fact that the Trinity cannot be known apart from special revelation. I agree to that. The fact that the Trinity cannot be known um, apart from special revelation. But again, I don't know why that would be necessarily a problem that would debunk the Trinity. There's a lot of things that can't be known from general revelation that aren't necessarily uh, wrong. My third argument is that the Trinity contradicts general revelation in that it posits a God that is not self-existent. Well... Yeah, this is where we're going to get into the problems. He can't seem to understand the difference between a material and a formal predication, between the predication of essence and the predication of hypostasis. So there's different notions that each one of the persons have. So let's let's think of it uh, like this. So um, with the okay, no, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go there. Actually, maybe I will. Okay, so this is a very imperfect uh, sort of analogy. But because uh, when you have, let's say, three people, you have me, um, I don't know, James White and Jake. That's There you go, three people. We each uh, would share um, a common uh, sort of material predication of humanity, although... We exist in three different um, individualized substances, so uh, that that's that's where the analogy would would break down. And then the formal predication uh, is not humanity, but the formal predication would be um, each one of our uh, names. That would be the formal predications. That's the difference between material and formal predications. So let me go back to exactly what he said. My third argument is that the Trinity contradicts general revelation in that it posits a God that is not self-existent. Oh yeah, there you go. So uh, when it comes to uh, the essence of God, yes, the essence of God is self-existent. Everybody agrees to that. That would be a material predication. So we could say the Father is self-existent, the Son is self-existent, and the Holy Spirit is self-existent in, insofar as they uh, share the one essence of God. But when it comes to those formal predications, um, uh, the subsisting, the fact that they are subsisting relations uh, between one another, uh, the Father would be self-existent um, because he's anasimal. The son would not be self-existent uh, in, uh, according to his hypostasis because he uh, is from the father and the spirit would not be self-existent according to his hypostasis because he is from the father through the son. So that, that you there, I what we'll see over and over again is that um, if you make proper distinctions and if you don't equivocate using your terms, then these arguments are very easy to deal with.
My fourth argument is what is called the logical problem of the Trinity. And my the LPD isn't too good, by the way. But we'll get into that later when he explains what the LPD is. Fifth, but not least argument, is the tritheism objection. First, let me explain what Tawheed is. Tawheed, simply put, refers to the oneness of God. <coughs> it is the basis of the Muslim faith and the first part of the Shahada. La ilaha illallah. There is no God except Allah. The expression of Tawheed can be summed up in a few verses of the Qur'an, and that is in Surah Ikhlas, the 112th chapter of the Qur'an, that has four small but yet powerful verses. It says this, Say, he Allah is one, Allah the eternal, the self-sufficient, he begets not nor is he begotten, and there is none comparable to him. In the Qur'an, chapter 59, verses 22 to 24, some of God's beautiful names, such as the merciful, the supreme, the holy one, etc., are listed to describe who God is. And as a quick note... Yes, I pronounce everything wrong. So, yeah. Oh, John Pilatus is here. Lord Stardust created the universe out of stardust. He is not the desert tribal god Yahweh or his son Yeshua. Oh, man. One is not worthy to, to kiss his platform boots. Oh, man. Hi, John Pilatus. I'm glad you're here. There are many more majestic attributes of God mentioned in the Qur'an. But in, a, in its simplest form, the Islamic conception of God is that there is one unique God with attributes of perfection. As Muslims, we believe that this conception of God can be arrived at from a purely rational philosophical perspective. Through natural theology alone, we can arrive at a supreme creator of all that exists. His existence is necessary. He is assay and self-sufficient. He is one, and there is none greater than him. This is accomplished through various philosophical arguments, such as cosmological arguments, teleological arguments, ontological arguments, etc. Romans chapter 1, likewise, proclaims that God's existence is clear, and men are without excuse for denying him. Now, let us now turn to the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is the claim that, and I'm quoting Dr. White here, within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My first argument is that the notion of the Trinity is a bit of a misnomer. What I mean by this is that there are many different conceptions of the Trinity. As we showed was false that at times are radically different from one another and result in there being Trinity models that are mutually exclusive, such that if one is correct, the other is fundamentally flawed and incorrect. Yes, the Catholic view is correct, and all of the ones are fundamentally flawed and incorrect. I'm glad we've got that through. For example, Dr. White's definition says that there is one being that is God. In order for us to properly evaluate the claim, we must have a clear definition of the term being. So the burden is on Dr. White to give us a clear definition of the term being. Part of the Interestingly enough, in, uh, he should know this, but um, I'm sure he doesn't. <clears throat> Actually, you might know this. I actually know this is a really nuanced, this classic metaphysical point. Being is actually something in which can't be defined, uh, properly speaking. Improperly speaking, we can speak of it kind of as the um, as the intersection of essence. Well, it's really the uh, the existence of a certain thing, if you want to put it like that. But since being is the most simple and most fundamental um, metaphysical idea and the object of all metaphysics, being isn't actually something in which we we define. So uh, it, it's really interesting. It's, some, it's only something which we describe, which he's going to complain about. And then it's like, well, have you read Aristotle and then the, uh, the tradition of Aristotelians? And I think uh, Platonists are the same way. And then uh, and Catholic metaphysics generally, um, Thomistic metaphysics. And I think Scotus would disagree. We would agree with that. But I would have to ask um, Byzantine Scotus about that. But yeah, uh, that, that's really interesting how he complains about how we can't define being. It's like, well, yeah, the whole tradition of kind of, that, that's the whole thing about being is it's something in which can only really be improperly defined and then described. It's not something which can have a proper definition. And if you want to read. Um, 
if you want to read more about it, oh, it's going to be um, Thomistic Philosophy by Henry Grenier, and it's going to be volume two on metaphysics where he writes about this, uh, about, yeah, in the tradition, we can't define being. We, we can't properly define it. It's like, it, it's philosophically impossible to properly define being because being is not a genus. In order to have a definition, you need a uh, genus and differentia. So it's it's not something in which we can define. Um, so he's going to complain about that. And he complains about that in multiple ones of his videos. But if you were, uh, if, if you uh, knew classical metaphysics, um, then you would know that that's a problem with the entire tradition, really. The problem is that the answer to this question from a Trinitarian perspective varies greatly. Consider that philosophically the term being typically refers to something that exists. If there are three persons in the Trinity, under this definition, there would be three beings, which Dr. White is reluctant to admit. So he must clearly explain to us how he defines the term being. The same exact issue can be run for the term persons. William Lane Craig affirms the distinction between being and person, and yet Dr. White would reject his position. I hope... Dr. White wouldn't reject that position because there is a, a rational distinction between being and person. They're not identical terms. Yeah, then we're going to get into this a little bit because another big problem that, that's going to be had with Jake's position, why he doesn't really understand uh, the Trinity as, as hard as he tried. And uh, I, I definitely commend him for that. Uh, he's definitely put a lot of work into it. Um, and I don't want anybody being rude to him or anything. Because it's really hard to jump into the shoes of a different um, theological tradition. It's definitely very difficult. But going over what it means for something to be identical, what it means for something to be really distinguished, distinguished, and then something which is going to be virtually distinguished. Those, those dis making those distinctions are going to clear up all of these objections very easily. And James White does not have that background. So we're going to see why he can't clear up any of those objections. And his presentation is notoriously bad. This demonstrates that merely making a distinction between the terms being and person is insufficient. More must be said and done. Dr. White must give us a clear definition of the terms being and person in order for us to even evaluate his claim of the Trinity. If Dr. White fails to give clear definitions for these terms, then he fails to establish the Trinity as a claim that can even be evaluated. Now, I understand that Dr. White affirms the veracity of the Bible and believes that the Trinity is firmly rooted in the Bible itself. He will probably quote. Oh, yeah. And then real quick, um, if you do want to know more about how to define person, uh, if you go to my website, ChristianBWagner.com, it should be my latest article, Person in Trinitarian Theology. I wrote it about a week ago. Um, if you want to find out a bit about the problems with um, not having a classical definition of person in Trinitarian theology and uh, also Christology, and then also how to properly define what it means for um, what it means for something to be a person. Um, and I, th I think maybe later I'll go in a little bit more detail about that. But for now, um, if you if you wanted to just check that article out, that that's kind of a one stop shop that I wrote numerous texts to substantiate this. Dr. White, however, admits that his position regarding the Bible is ultimately circular, and he proudly embraces this. However, yeah, he actually does. It's kind of funny. A necessary condition for truth is logical coherence, and I will argue that Dr. White will be unable to present a biblical doctrine of the Trinity that is logically coherent. Now, my second argument is that the Trinity cannot be known from natural theology. It can only be known from special revelation. This seems problematic on the face of it, as the fundamental notion of who God is cannot be known through creation apart from scripture. My third argument is that what we Wait, why, why is that a problem? I don't know why that's a problem. The fact that we can't know something about God from, um, apart from special revelation. 
It's uh, it, it, St. Thomas, he writes, we do not dare to say a single thing about God um, apart from the words of sacred scripture. And this is coming from uh, St. Dionysius, uh, one of the, yes, first century Christian philosophers. If you want those good Christian philosophers, read St. Dionysius. So I don't get why that is a problem. Because it's really uh, from creation, we can know the existence of God, but we can't know his essence. Can know about God from general revelation in nature is contrary to Trinitarian Nicene Orthodoxy. Through natural revelation and contingency arguments, for example, we conclude that a God exists whose existence is necessary, self-sufficient, and assay. However, the Nicene Creed, which Dr. White affirms, states that, and I quote, I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one essence with the Father. The notion of the Son being eternally begotten from the Father results in the Son lacking aseity, which is an essential property for what it means to be God. And when it comes to uh, our knowledge of God from creation, our knowledge of God from creation, uh, as St. Thomas teaches why we can't know uh, the Trinity of Persons from creation, because we know from creation um, the fact that there has been certain created effects. So there's been effects from a certain cause, and then we reason from effect to cause. Now, what is the operating um, principle uh, in a certain thing? Well, it's its nature. So since there's inseparable operations uh, in the Trinity, uh, you're not going to know the Trinity of persons from the effect because the effect is going to be the three persons acting uh, together. Really, uh, that's not the best way of speaking, the three persons acting together. Really, the, uh, the nature acting. Um, and then inseparably, the three persons will be acting. So it's you're you're not going to going to be able to know the Trinity of persons from creation, and it's uh, really uh, philosophically impossible, and it's very strongly rejected um, by most of the scholastic theologians that you can have these necessary um, arguments and proofs for God. Such that without it, one cannot be God. Aseity is the property of self-existence, or to have existence in and of oneself, as opposed to through another. The church fathers that were responsible for the Nicene Creed held that the son being begotten of the father was a causal notion. According to the Christian scholar Stephen R. Holmes, what all sides agree upon during the patristic era is that, and I quote, within a divine life, the father is the sole cause, begetting the son, inspiring the spirit. The great church father, St. Gregory of Nyssa, in his work on Not Three Gods, states that, and I quote, the principle of causality distinguishes them, the persons of the Holy Trinity. It affirms that the one is uncaused, while the others depend on the cause. Again, St. Athanasius says this, and I quote, The Son has his being, not of himself, but of the Father. Now, since Dr. White is a self-proclaimed Calvinist, let's see what John Calvin himself states in his famous work, The Institutes. He says, Okay, and now there's an interesting text, actually, when he keeps talking about cause. Um, in St. Thomas's Against the Error of the Greeks, I'm going to pull it up real quick. I think this is important. So, because he actually, um, he actually basically covers these same passages that Jake is referring to and finding problem with. So let me share my screen real quick. There you go. Contra errores grecorum. So how the son is understood to be related to the father is something caused to its cause. So doubt made trouble some persons on discovering that many passage of these authorities, the father said to be the cause of the son, blah, blah, blah. He lists them all. 
Among the Latins, however, the Father is not usually called the cause of the Son or of the Holy Spirit, but only their principle or origin. For this, there are three reasons. First, because the Father cannot be understood as a cause of the Son in the matter of a formal or material or final cause, but only after that of an originating cause, to wit, an efficient cause. But we find that an efficient cause is always diverse in essence from that to which it is the cause. Therefore, to exclude the notion that the Son has an essence diverse from that of the Father, we are not accustomed to speak of the Father as cause of the Son, but prefer to use the words conating origin jointly with consubstantiality, such as fountainhead and the like. So notice we're denying uh, when we speak of cause that it's material, formal, or final, but we can speak of an efficient cause. And then we make some negations. Notice Thomas is an, an expert theologian here, just absolutely glorious, because he's going to establish the way in which we use language. And this is going making these distinction, these these negations with our language about God is going is how we're going to uh, refute the Mohammedans. So when we speak of the efficient cause, we're denying that it's like a created efficient cause, in that it is not diverse in essence. So that is what we deny about it being an efficient cause. And then you can read the rest of this if you want, but that's a very good resource right there against the errors of the Greeks. Except don't trust the patristic sources that he quotes because most of them are fake. This, and I quote, regarded as son, he is of the father. His essence is without beginning while his person has its beginning in God the father. And indeed, the Orthodox writers who in former times spoke of the Trinity use this term only with reference to the persons. Note that it said his person had a beginning in God the Father. All of these quotes demonstrate that Nicene Orthodoxy affirms that the Son does not possess the attribute of a Sadie because his existence is from the Father. He does not have self-existence. In fact, the church fathers thought that for... Yeah, <laughs> when, interestingly enough, now that you, if, now that you say it, uh, there were, there were, um, certain uh, neo-scholastics, and I promise I wouldn't bring this up, but I will for some reason, like Suarez. Uh, Suarez did say that there were three relative existences in the Trinity, but in the Thomistic tradition, from which um, most of the Catholic Church is going to be speaking about this issue, there's only one absolute existence. Uh, so when we speak of self-existence or uh, existence in general when it comes to the Trinity, we're always speaking about the, we're going to be speaking about the essence, the nature, the being of God. We're not going to speak about the distinction of the persons. Although if we wanted to speak that way, and we can analogously speak that way, yes, the the son, um, when it comes to uh, the existence of his hypostasis, the existence of the subsisting relation, it's going to be from another because of the very nature of a subsisting relation. Or there to be three persons, all to be assay and uncaused would be polytheism. So Dr. White has two options. Either affirm the Nicene Creed and admit that the Son is not Asse and therefore not God, or reject the Nicene Creed and deal with the historical problem that results from rejecting the early consensus of the Trinitarian Church Fathers. I deny this uh, either or because there's a there's definitely the third option of just being an Orthodox Trinitarianism Trinitarian and making the distinction between a material predication and a formal predication, making the distinction about speaking qua essent qua sentia and then uh, qua hypostasis or qua persona. Uh, that it's 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 just a not good argument. Now, my fourth argument is what is known as the logical problem of the Trinity. 
Now, the LPT, which is short for that, is well known. It results from the following affirmation of the following seven premises. First, the Father is God. Second, the Son is God. Third, the Holy Spirit is God. Four, the Father is not the Son. Five, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Six, the Son is God. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this visually up in here because I want to explain to you how each one of these predications are used. Because if we're very clear about the language, then it is um, not going to be too difficult. It results from the following. Okay, I got to slow this down so I can type in time. I should have typed this up beforehand. Information of the following seven premises. First, the Father is God. Second, the Son is God. Third, the Holy Spirit is God. Four, the Father is not the Son. Five, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Six, the Holy Spirit, the, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And seven, there is exactly one God. Now, the logical problem is that the conjunction of these seven premises seems to be fat, flatly. Sorry about that. Okay. There you go. Now let's see what he comments about this. I got the seven propositions down. Wait. Then I'll show you exactly how each one of these propositions are used. You have to just be very careful because, again, he's just going to keep equivocating. And then all you need to do is just contradistinguish the minor premise, and then boom, they're done. Consistent. Flatly inconsistent, I should say. There are three is God statements, and the subjects are not identical to one another, and yet we are told there's only one God. However, based on the seven premises, we should conclude that there are exactly three gods. Yet we are told there is only one God. When we are told that the Father is God, what exactly does this mean? There is a distinction between what is called the is of identity and the is of predicate. Okay, he's going to get into that. But for that, I will share my screen and it will explain to you how each one of these premises are used. Here we go. Untitled document. And yes, I did shorthand this. So first, the Father is God. Second, the Son is God. Third, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, fourth, the Father is not the Son. Fifth, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And seven, there is exactly one God. <clears throat> okay. So first, this premise right here, the Father is God. What do we mean when we say the Father is God? Okay, so with Father, Father is referring to that specific subsisting relation, so the specific person that is the Father. Second, what is meant by God? God is referring to the nature. So it's kind of, you have right here a formal predication, you have here a material predication. So when we say the Father is God, so we're talking about the relation between the person right here, Father, and the essence right there, God. So what is this is signifying? What relation between the two is this is signifying? He's going to give us these two options of a is of identity or an is of predication. So basically a substantial or an accidental predication is, is what he's talking about. But what kind of distinction exists between Father and God? Actually, it's going to be what's called a minor virtual distinction, very technically speaking, minor virtual. But we can speak of it broadly as a rational distinction. So when we say the Father is God, the difference in which um, there is uh, taken away from this is would be the fact that there is actually a rational distinction between the Father and God.
That's going to be very important down the line. Because if you make no distinction, or if you make a complete identity between Father and God, you're going to run into problems down the road. But And then if you make, obviously, a, a real distinction between Father and God, some sort of separation which exists uh, prior to the consideration of the mind, then you're going to fall into huge trouble uh, right away because you're going to have basically, um, you're going to have, I don't even know what that heresy would be called. I guess you'd have like a quad quadrinity or something like that. <clears throat> and then it's the same with the second proposition. This is referring to the persona. This is referring to the sentia. And then this right here is uh, the relationship between the two, which is going to be one of a minor virtual or rational distinction. Holy Spirit, person, um, God, essence, minor virtual distinction. So boom, boom, boom. Those first three, we got them. Okay. And now is is going to, interestingly enough, is is going to be signifying something different in 4, 5, and 6. Okay. So 4, 5, and 6. There you go. Four, five, and six, the father, okay, person, son, person, and then is not. What is is not signifying? Well, is not is signifying a real distinction, which is existing between these two persons, because there is what's called relative opposition between the father and the son. The son is begotten of the father, so there's this opposition which exists, and then you have the subsisting relation, boom, son, father opposing relations, boom, real distinction. So it's very important, real distinction, Father and Holy Spirit, and then also it's Father and Son because they're one principle. The is not, both of these, are referring to a real distinction. Okay, so what Jake doesn't realize is, is here, is here, is here, minor virtual distinction. Is here, well, is not here, is not here, is not here. There is a real distinction between the two. So that really clears up the problem because he's going to equivocate and say that there is an issue that the father should be the son because he does not understand that right here with these is God statements that there is a rational distinction, which is not, uh, which is not the same as a complete identity. And if we think about it um, like this, uh, I, I brought up the same analogy. Let's grab my sparkling water right here. So I pick up my sparkling water. So there's the action of me picking up the sparkling water. And then there's the passion or, or passive um, thing of the water being picked up. Now, is me picking up the water and the water being picked up, is that identical? Well, no. It's not identical, but there's also not a real distinction, which we can separate the two of, uh, of existing prior to the mind. No, but in our consideration of the picking up of the water and me picking up the water, we can make a rational distinction between the two. So there's when like, rational existence, uh, rational distinctions exist, there is um, not a real identity between the two. Um, but there's also, uh, well, not a real and rational identity between the two, but there's also not a real separation between the two. So that is how we, uh, how in Christian theology, 
there's the relationship between the Father and God and then the Son and God and the Holy Spirit and God is, is seen. But with 4, 5, and 6, the Father and the Son, there's not a rational distinction or we would be Sibelians. We'd fall into the heresy of modalism, as St. Thomas points out. So there's a real distinction between the two. So the Father and the Son would be, uh, quote, separated. Um, and that's not the best language of using separated because separated usually signifies something which is diverse in essence. But uh, there is a, quote, separation between the two which exists prior to the mind so uh the, this this clears up the the objection that he would try to um take what well, he would take um he would say that, that father is and then is not the son so he would take what he would do and i'll kind of show you the logic of what he does right here so he would take let's say premise four and premise one right here. Premise one, the father is God. And then what used to be premise four, but is now premise two, the father is not the son. So he would say, okay, so since father, um, since uh, actually it would work better if I kept the son as God. Actually, I'll keep up the son as God. And I'll show you how kind of Jesuitical tricks he's doing right now. This is really uh, some sophistic tricks. So the father is not the son. Okay, so since the son and God are identical, I can take God right out from here and exchange it for son. So the father is not the God. So boom, you've, I've just debunked you. But really, let's go back. What we have to do is because the ordering of Latin predications um, actually works is you could only exchange the first half of it because there is that difference between a real distinction and a rational distinction. So this one right here, the God is not the Son, or God is not the Son. God is not merely the Son, so the essence is not the person. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could, you could make that statement. But since there is this difference between a minor virtual and a real distinction, this argument does not work. And actually, I have not checked I've not checked the chats in a while, so I need to. I wonder who Shia Alex thinks who is the best critique of Islam. I wonder. So, yeah, 23 viewers and nine likes. Shaking my head. You guys need to all like it. Eli told you. Okay. And then John Politis is going, going off right now. <laughs> I think I think Michael Brown is a slightly better defender of the Trinity. James Boyd is the master of sounding confident, but he never logically proves the Trinity. Muslims are basically Jews. Interesting. John Place is going off right here. Man, they're fighting in the fighting in the chat right now. <laughs> the Muslim metaphysicians rebuttal statement one plus one plus one equals three gods. I could deal with that argument if you guys really wanted me to. Man, this is a lot of stuff in the chat. Man, you guys are with cocaine. You guys are going off in the comments. 
<clears throat> Bonaventure is better than Aquinas. Aris said so. How would Aris know? You, you're really trusting somebody with an anima, anime profile pick over me? Come on now. Get out of here. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I really... I don't know if it's still up, but Sam Shamoon had a title that called him the Muslim meta retard. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's actually kind of funny. Oh, man. I would never do something like that, but that's actually kind of funny. Uh, he's going to bed. Good night, Augustine. Okay. He's uh, he's sick right now, so it's unfortunate. Oh man, the Muslim meta retard. That is that is so bad. But yeah, with uh Bonaventure's better than Aquinas, Ara said so. I could do a whole I, I kind of want to write like something going over the differences between the Suarezians and the Franciscans and the Thomists when it comes to the Trinity. I wonder if Jay Dyer watches anime. He probably does. Okay, let's continue. We've gotten 13 minutes in. We are told that the Father is God. What exactly does this mean? There is a distinction between what is called the is of identity and is of predication. An example of an is of identity would be like this. Clark Kent is Superman. When we say this, we are saying that the two mentioned are identical to one another. These are two names that refer to the same thing. This is to be contrasted with the is of predication. An example of this would be Superman is strong. We are not saying that Superman is identical to strongness. Strongness is a predicate or property that we are ascribing to the subject that is Superman. Again, there's a tertium quid, which is going to be a virtual distinction. So when Dr. White states that the father is God, is this an identity statement or a statement of predication? This makes a huge difference in our understanding of the statement itself. Now, if Dr. White says that it is an identity statement, then there are a few options. Either White collapses the persons into one person, or he affirms a version of relative identity Trinitarianism, which is an extremely controversial position. What is even relative identity Trinitarianism? No idea. Relative identity Trinitarianism states that oh, the Father you. is identical to God, the Son is identical to God, the Holy Spirit is identical to God, and yet they are not identical to each other. Identical. That Oh, yeah, that's a really stupid position. Yeah, because identical is usually used when we have no sort of real or rational distinction so i mean all these all these people with their stupid trinitarian theories they just need to read the sumo man i'm telling you simply stated the father and the son are the same god but are different persons this results in a violation of the logic of classical identity peter van inwagen a proponent of relative identity trinitarianism states and i quote a philosopher who denies the existence of classical absolute identity may find materials in the procedure I've outlined for an explanation of the fact that most philosophers and logicians have assumed that there is such a relation as classical identity. Again, he states, and I quote, as far as I am able to tell, relative identity logic has no utility outside of Christian theology. Again, William Lane Craig, who's a Christian, quote, uh, comments on this issue, and he says, William Lane Craig is a heretic. He's not a Christian. This, and I quote, if these declarations are intended to imply that statements like the Father is God are identity statements, then they threaten the doctrine of the Trinity with logical incoherence. For the logic of identity requires that if the Father is identical with God and the Son is identical with God, then the Father is identical with the Son, which the same councils also deny. So if Dr. White wants to claim that these are identity statements, then he is left with either modalism or logical incoherence. On the opposite side of the spectrum, Dr. White can take the position of the is of predication. If Dr. White selects the is of predication option, then he is stating that each person is divine. And if you have three things, which are each fully divine, then you threaten the doctrine of the Trinity with tritheism or the idea that there's three gods. In an attempt to avoid tritheism, William Lane Craig adopts what is called partialism. The fundamental problem with this is that it entails that each person is not fully God. So again, the onus is on Dr. White to clarify his position and tell us whether or not the Father is God functions as an identity statement or a statement of predication. Just Google. <clears throat> what you really need to do 
just read a um, a manual of scholastic theology, philosophy, any manual of scholastic philosophy, along with any one of the manualists in their uh, volume on the Trinity. And every time they use words like minor virtual distinction or um, real distinction or such, just flip through and look up what that means in the scholastic philosophy textbook. Just Google a minor virtual distinction right now, and then that will solve your problem. It isn't, it isn't that difficult. This isn't that hard. And it just annoys me. We have all these so-called Christian philosophers who are saying dumb stuff like this. So stupid. If he cannot do so, then again, Dr. White has failed to clearly state and establish his position. Now, my fifth and final argument is that Dr. White is unable to clearly delineate the difference between monotheism and polytheism. Dr. White states that there are three centers of self-consciousness, each with their own proper will. He states this in his debates with Roger Perkins and Abdullah Kunde, respectively. So White seems to be affirming a form of social Trinitarianism. Brian Leftow, in his famous paper, Anti-Social Trinitarianism, defines social Trinitarianism as, and I quote, in God, there are three distinct centers of self-consciousness, each with its proper intellect and will. And then he goes on to say that social Trinitarianism threatens to, and I quote, veer into tritheism. He also refers to it as, and I quote, a reformed paganism. So how can we have three centers of self-consciousness, each with their own will, and yet not have three gods? What is it precisely that makes them one? How does Dr. White distinguish this from polytheism other than merely asserting it to be monotheism? The burden, again, is on Dr. White to give us a clear definition that establishes the distinction between monotheism and polytheism. If he fails to do this, then again, White's lack of clarity will prove fatal. Let me remind the audience that I first explained and established Tawhid. I then explained the Trinity. And lastly, I raised five arguments against what the Trinity is. These five arguments were the fact, first, that there is not one notion of the Trinity. Second, the fact that the Trinity cannot be known from creation alone. Third, the fact that the Nicene Creed itself contradicts what is known about God through reason. Fourth, the logical problem of the Trinity. And fifth, but not least, the tritheism objection. Now, I want the audience to pay very close attention okay, to whether or not Dr. White addresses my arguments. If Dr. White fails to adequately respond to these five arguments, then he has failed to establish his position. That's it. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, I will get ready to start my 15-minute uh, open. Okay. Real quick. Christian B. Wagner, hey, when would be a good time for us to have a conversation? Um, usually on VSC, um, <clears throat> sorry. I kind of switch around my times when, I'm, when I can be on VC. Because now what I've started doing is that I can just hop on VC when I'm at work and just talk to people. So uh, most, uh, I'm off the next two nights, so I'm just going to kind of chill and uh, catch up on some stuff that I need to work on. Uh, but... Usually uh, any other night of the week kind of works. Um, Luis, do you really not have a female favorite female saint or author? I like Edith Stein of Hildebrand of begin or Hildebrand is fire. Yeah, uh, that the questioner who asked me about female authors that was having uh, they said no doctors at the church. So uh, so I actually. I actually do like uh, Therese of Avila. So my son's name is Augustine to my other is Pius. I was actually thinking of naming my other son Pius. So uh, dang, that'd be kind of kind of crazy. I just tuned in and I'm debating on whether I should go back and watch the beginning or stay and rewatch the beginning later. Yeah, I just rewatch the beginning later. 
I'm one minute and 40 seconds behind because I had it paused. I hate that about streams. Just just do like one and a half times speed until you catch up. Just catch up eventually. Opening statement uh, right now. All right. So what is Trinity and Tawheed? Let's, let's make sure that everyone's on the same page, has understanding, okay. because this okay. is a Muslim-Christian dialogue. We'll get and on you will notice, page. for example, that just now, the vast majority of the presentation was not an establishment or argument for Tawheed. It was just simply a statement of what it is, and then the rest was criticism of the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to the sources. Surah 4.171 in the Quran says the following, O people of the book, do not go beyond the bounds in your religion, in your deen, nor say anything about Allah except what is true. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of Allah, and his words which he conveyed to Mary, and a spirit from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers, and do not say three. Stop, it is better for you, for Allah is only one Allah. Glory be to him, for far exalted is he above having a son. To him belongs all things in the heavens and on earth, and enough is Allah as a disposer of affairs. So, the Islamic position has to be defined by the Quran. Now, you can go beyond that if you wish, but the point is, the argument of the Quran, since this is not Muhammad's argumentation, it is allegedly Allah's argumentation, then we need to look at specifically what the Quran is saying. And it is saying, do not say three, for Allah is only one Allah. We will not find anything in the Quran um, that in any way even resembles the argumentation that we just heard from Jake against the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, the question is, did the author of the Quran have even a tenth of the knowledge that Jake has of the doctrine of the Trinity? And if he didn't, that sort of also completes the debate, doesn't it? As far as how that is, is not the Quran, the basis of Tawheed. But we need to look at a couple others. In Surah, Surah 5, uh, verse 72. I mean, it might be different because of the way in which uh, Muslims view the mode of revelation, but I don't think that really matters. It'd be like if, <laughs> if I was debating all of, I don't know, if I was debating evolutionists, be like, well, how much did Moses know about evolution, dude? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's certainly they disbelieve who say, surely Allah, he is the Messiah, the son of Mary. And the Messiah said, O children of Israel, serve Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Surely whoever associates others with Allah, that's the sin of shirk. Then Allah has forbidden to him the garden and his abode is the fire and there shall be no helpers for the unjust. Certainly they disbelieve who say, surely Allah is the third person of the three and there is no God but the one Allah. So there again is the word three and it's immediately followed by the phrase, there is no God but the one Allah. And if they desist not from what they say, a painful chastisement shall befall them, those among them who disbelieve. Will they not then turn to Allah and ask his forgiveness? And Allah is forgiving and merciful. Verse 75, Messiah, son of Mary, is but a messenger. Messengers before him have indeed passed away, and his mother was a truthful woman. They both used to eat food. See how we make the communications clear to them, then behold how they are turned away. Please notice that the Quran thinks it's important to point out that Mary ate food like Jesus did. Why would that be important? Because Surah 5.116 says, and when Allah will say, O Isa, son of Mary, did you say to men, take me and my mother uh, for two gods besides Allah? He will say, glory be to thee, it did not befit me that I should say what I had no right to say. And if I had said it, you would have indeed known it. Now, we don't have time to go into an in-depth discussion of the Quranic understanding of, for example, what would be a child of God or a son of God or children of God or anything like that. But what we do see very, very clearly in the Quran is the argument that the, you do not say three because there is only one God. Not because of natural revelation or anything that has to do with the Council of Nicaea, which had taken place well over 200 years, almost 300 years prior to the writing of these words. We don't have any, any even reference to such things. Now compare what the Quran does with the revelation of the doctrine of the Trinity in the pages of Scripture itself. Not the Council of Nicaea, not a Chalcedon or at any point in time. In the pages of Scripture itself. For example, we can go prophetically to the book of Isaiah. For a child will be born to us a son. I did think his point was interesting about... Uh, about, about um. Our Lady possibly being, because I, I know the verse about uh, about the Quran condemning people who are are venerating Our Lady as a member as a person of the Trinity. But it's interesting about how what what he pointed out about the eating. They both eat food. 
that would that would seem to say that uh, the the author of the Quran thought that people were venerating Our Lady as divine. So interesting, but uh, I don't think that's particularly uh, too important, and that's not really uh, what I do. I don't really uh, provide positive attacks, but interesting. Son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, El Gabor, Mighty God, Aviad, Eternal Father or Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Each one of these phrases fulfilled in the ministry and life of Jesus. And so no matter what we do in the definition of what we believe, the source and foundation has to be what God has revealed in Scripture. And this is prophetic Scripture. I've had many a Muslim go to the book of Isaiah to try to prove the existence of Muhammad as a prophet. So you can't deny that. And so you have to deal with what is prior. What is the foundation and source of our understanding of who God is? We also have in 1 Corinthians, uh, the, this writing in the New Testament, fulfilling Old Testament themes. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Now, again, time precludes my ability to lay out, as I have in other, in other presentations, the fact that what the Apostle Paul does here is he takes the Shema, Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad, the very prayer of monotheism of the Jewish people, and expands it in light of the revelation and history of the coming of Jesus. And so whatever we do, we have to allow this. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one kudios, that's the, the rendering of the term Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, the covenant name of God. Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. Now the Quran says he's merely a messenger. He used to eat his food like his mom, like his mom did. He's, he's, he's a creature of God. He was made by, by Allah. But the Christian scriptures say he is Yahweh, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Now there is no refutation of this in the Quran because there's no evidence that the author of the Quran ever even heard these words or had any knowledge of these words. So notice the difference between the continuity of the Old and New Testament together in their revelation and then the breaking of that continuity and coming with the Quran. That's important because in Surah 5, allegedly the Quran is the continuation of these revelations. And yet we see a massive gap between these revelations, which know each other so well in comparison to what is found uh, in the Quran. And so we have an early hymn in the Christian church, Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same mindset among yourselves. It was in Christ Jesus, who, although he eternally existed in the very form of God. Notice, New Testament is completely monotheistic. There's only one God, Yahweh, creator of all things. Absolute monotheism, no question about it. He did not consider that equality he had with God the Father something to be held on to at all costs. But instead, he made himself nothing by taking on the very form of a slave, by being made in human likeness. So we have monotheism, but we have equality between the Father and the Son. We have the Son actively making himself nothing. He is the one who voluntarily enters into human flesh by positively taking on a human nature, by taking on the very form of a slave, by being made in human likeness. And having entered into human existence, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the death one dies on a cross. Again, very early historical reference to the cross, which is denied within the text of the Quran in Surah 4157. Because. Okay. There was a sect in Arabia which believed Mary was the divine consort of the Father. Epiphanius of Salamis mentions it in his book on heresiography. Interestingly, this was in the fourth century. Yeah, so they probably met some heretical groups and then thought that was the belief in the Trinity. Interesting. I'll be back in a minute. I don't think I have anything else to comment on this section, so I'll just let it play through. So we get the whole argument, you know. Because of this, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so at the mention of the exalted name of Jesus, everyone who is in heaven, on earth, and under the earth bows the knee, and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord, all the glory of God the Father. This is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. This is, this is where Yahweh himself says, every knee would bow to him, every tongue would confess to him. And so here you have this this divine revelation in scripture, referring us back to the historical reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the fact that he is distinguished from the father 
He and the father, the, the father speaks to the son. The son speaks to the father. In John chapter 17, the son speaks of the time where in eternity past, he shared glory with the father. Not as some preexistent thought. He existed in the presence of the father. It is identified as Yahweh. The spirit is the spirit of Yahweh. And so when we look at the comparison between the clarity with which the New Testament reveals these things and the argumentation of the Quran, the first question we have to ask is, why do modern Muslims have significantly more knowledge of the Trinity than the author of the Quran did? Is that not sufficient to make you go, well, that raises questions concerning the divine nature of the Quran itself? And secondly, this also tells us the Quran is separated from the Old and New Testaments, even though the Quran claims that it's the same God that Natsal sent down the Torah and the Injil, gave them to Moses, gave them to Jesus, and he gives the Quran to Muhammad. That's a chain in Surah 5. It is broken by any meaningful analysis of what these, uh, these documents teach. So, in regards to the Should I finally block John Pilatus? This was kind of a blasphemous statement that St. Thomas is gay. Hello, Mr. Thomism. Hello, Dende. Why are you not reading a story about Pope Pius X? Because I just like the intro, and I think it was a fitting intro for defending our Lord's divinity. Philosophical argumentation that you can dig into and we will get into. Here's the issue. Jake has already said that the Muslim position can be established solely by philosophical argumentation. And he has said that it's a problem that I'm saying that what I believe is depend upon divine revelation. Well, he's exactly right. It is dependent upon divine revelation. Romans chapter one is not a contradiction to that because Romans chapter one is talking about only those aspects of God's being that can be understood through that which has been created, specifically his, his divine nature and his power, which holds us accountable to give thanks to him and honor him as God, not all the rest of the revelation of scripture that is given to us. But I embrace the reality that the doctrine of the Trinity is a biblical doctrine and, it's de and we must depend upon divine revelation because to be truly understand even God's eternal nature or God's immutability or God's aseity, all of that is dependent upon revelation as well. Because every one of those aspects has been disputed by philosophers at some point in time down through history. And so if natural theology and philosophy is our final authority, then we will never know who God is. And Christians have never claimed that that is the final authority. Scripture must be the final authority. And that's the problem. Because the author of the Quran did not know what is in the scriptures that came before him. And that is a major, major problem that we will have to discuss. So finally, let me emphasize. When so as a quick note, uh, you'll see throughout, um, I guess I'll remove it to go so you'll see throughout this whole thing with james white he has a very weird view of the relationship between uh sacred scripture and then philosophy yes you can see my my weird uh our our blinds are broken i guess i don't know who broke our broke our blinds but you can see uh the weird um what was i going to say relationship between james uh james white on philosophy and theology reason and revelation that he's basically going to say that um while it's certainly true to say that uh revelation would transcend philosophy but transcends it in such a way that it's inexplicable in philosophical categories which is going to be a problem that we can't use uh philosophy and philosophical premises as a middle term in theology and this is going to be a problem I was here and witnessed the expulsion of the dem demoniac John Politis. So how do I make you guys uh, moderators? Thinking of making some of you moderators. If any of you are interested in being a moderator, just uh, let me know and I'll add you. But I'll continue on James White's presentation. When we talk about being, when we talk about person, how do we define these things? 
we define these things in light of a higher authority than any kind of philosophical dictionary or the current uh, analytical philosophy uh, perspective or anything like that. Based we define being or... in person, not on the basis of philosophers that lived before the time of Jesus. We are using these words to describe a divine reality. In history, Jesus entered into human flesh. So it is, it is quite true that when it comes to a person especially, person was, uh, both in Latin and in Greek, was a contrived term that they, they had taken these terms and defined them specifically in the light of uh, theological conclusions drawn from Scripture. And they were actually discussing, like it's interesting, you can find uh, epistles where there's like St. Jerome he's discussing this like okay what are we what are we doing with these with these definitions how are we going to contrive these definitions in such a way as to reflect the theology of sacred scripture um in order to help us uh when it comes to thinking through these issues so in a certain way yes they are contrived terms which are taken from from revelation itself but they're adopted terms from philosophy he walked amongst us he prayed to the father the father spoke to him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had fellowship with the father on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's ascended to the right hand of the father today. He intercedes for his people. That is the historical reality. And the New Testament writers then took all the unique passages about Yahweh and applied them to Jesus and to the father and to the spirit in the New Testament. And so what I am saying is whatever definition we use for being and person, the ultimate definer of these things is not philosophical categories because they aren't big enough. The Christian God is too big for human philosophy. Too big. Those philosophical terms must be defined so that they accurately represent what is found in the prior, prior in the sense of importance, prior in the sense of defining the prior source of scripture. If you don't go there, all you have left, whether you're Muslim or Christian or anything else, is mankind's speculations concerning God. Rather than God says, you have man allows God to say, we don't want that. We've seen the mess that that produces. We don't want to go there. And so the ultimate authority has to be found in the defining power of scripture itself. We must be consistent with that and nothing else. And since Jake finished up a little bit early, so will I. <laughs> so that was 15 minutes. And so now we have 10 minute rebuttals uh, starting with, uh, with Jake. This would be of course the point in time where you begin to interact um, before the cross-examination period that will take place later. There will be another five minute rebuttal period um, that Okay, Dende and Lewis, I made you both moderators. It will come after this as well. So 10 minutes, uh, turning it over to Jake. Uh, go ahead. One second, I'm just setting up my timer here. Okay. All right, here we go. So Dr. White, in those 15 minutes, of course, as he said, it seemed like it was going on for a long time. I made a lot of notes. I'll try to address as much as I can, but uh, let's see what I can do in these 10 minutes. Okay, bismillah. So... Uh, one of the main points, obviously, is that he said that the Trinity is grounded in the Bible and it's grounded in Scripture. Of course, uh, that's his claim. And I am, for the sake of this debate and for the sake of this argument, I'm just saying, okay, well, Dr. White, that's your position. You think the Bible's true. You think the Trinity is true because it's in the Bible. Well, let's see whether or not it makes any sense. That's what I'm going to be pressing on here. I get that. I respect that because I don't think any any Muslim uh, can, can properly address the uh the historic hermeneutic around the New Testament and the Old Testament too, regarding the Trinity, the way in which a lot of these texts have been read. Yeah, it, I don't think you can really address it. And the ones I've seen, it's like, oh, but, uh, but, uh, but it says this, uh, my God and your God, and uh, no, yeah, and it says uh, the one tr tr true God, the Father, and, and stuff like that. 
Like it, it's been adequately addressed throughout Christian tradition. I'm not going to go into a tit for tat quoting scriptures back and forth, although I will mention a couple for consideration. Only those that the Holy Spirit can interpret scripture. So that's the first point. Second point is he says, well, it seems like the Quran doesn't know as much about the Trinity as Jake does. Well, Jake is presenting these um, in-depth philosophical arguments against the Trinity. No, it does. But the Quran is a book of guidance. Okay, It's not a metaphysical textbook in the way that some people may want to understand things. No, it's not. It's meant for people like me as well as, and I'm not saying that I'm some grand person, but it's also meant for the farmer. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair response. The, the common person who doesn't even understand these things. And Allah does address the Trinity or and, and all these different conceptions of it. He doesn't need to go into relative identity, Trinitarianism and social Trinitarianism and refute all these different positions systematically. No, he says, do not say three. Simple. It excommunicates all of anything you want to say about the Trinity when it says there's one God and do not say three. Do not say three persons. Do not say three gods. It does answer the problem. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is, Dr. Uh, third thing is, Dr. White also mentioned the uh, Nicene Creed and the fact that it came out some hundred years before the Quran was revealed. That's true. And he thinks that the Quran didn't address it. Well, I want to point back to my original statement. Yes, the Quran does address it. is a direct refutation of the Nicene Creed. The son or God does not beget, nor is he begotten. It's a direct refutation of what James White thinks is in the Bible and what is found in the Nicene Creed. We do Okay. Interesting. Uh, Dende. Easiest way to defeat Muslim metaphysics is when you don't know enough philosophy is simply reject philosophy. Way to go, Mr. White. You really owned him. What do you think about the monarchy of the father? So the monarchy of the father is actually a, uh, a proper way of speaking, and uh, Latin theology has uh, accepted that as being a a, a good way of speaking. So I won't I won't really get into detail about that. I guess I could later because I know he does mention it later. So if you just wait, uh, maybe I'll address that in more detail. But yeah, monarchy of the father's fine. Not believe that God can beget or be eternally begotten in the way that I just said with the Son. Okay, so the Quran does clearly address the Trinity in the sense that it says, "Do not say three. It covers all these different conceptions to say, "No, you're all wrong." And then it also addresses the Nicene Creed clearly in Surah Ikhlas. Okay, so that's clear. I hope for the audience. Now we've got several points here left. Um, he also mentions, "Well, the Quran uh, doesn't seem to possess the same knowledge on the Trinity as Jake." Well, what's your evidence for it? I just provided evidence for the fact that it does. It knocks them out clear in one swipe. It doesn't need to go into all these little tiny details. But for some people who need it, like the audience, that's what I'm here to do. The Quran, as I said, is a book of guidance. It's not a systematic metaphysical textbook. Okay, That's why even Christians have systematic theology texts. That doesn't mean that the Bible is insufficient. It means that men can extrapolate and explain things. It's perfectly reasonable and fine. And I think uh, Dr. White should be uh, charitable in the same way that I wouldn't accuse him of having uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology text and say, well, therefore, the Bible doesn't know these things or the Bible is insufficient. Wayne Grudem's systematic theology text is terrible, by the way. No, I think that's a bit of a silly argument. Now, uh, secondly, uh, when it comes to this issue, absence of evidence is not ev evidence of absence. So even if I granted you the fact that there, there, this information was absent from the text of the Quran, it doesn't follow necessarily from that, that therefore the Quran didn't know these things or the author of the Quran didn't know them. You have to provide a further argument to establish that point. Now, he's also mentioned, and I'm obviously not going in the order of his presentation, but I'm trying to hit on as many points as I can. Uh, he also mentioned Quran chapter 4, verse trinity when it says do not say three um he also mentioned a verse which talks about uh both mary and jesus used to eat food and uh he didn't explicitly say this unless i missed it but i know it's a common uh you know christian apologetic trope that the quran misunderstands the trinity he did intimate towards it um implicitly tw twice one first that saying well allah is one of three and we only believe in one god so what is the quran talking about well 
Maybe it's because Dr. White's notion of the Trinity is not actually historical. Okay. And what do I mean by that is that the early Trinitarian Christians believe in something which was called the monarchy. Okay. Because they didn't actually have the word monotheism and polytheism. They made a distinction between monarchy and polyarchy, which is one rule versus three ruling. Okay. And they said that the father was the monarchy of the Trinity. And that's why they did not hold that the son and the spirit were ase because they thought that if they were, that would result in a polyarchy, which for them was polytheism. Okay. Uh, not really. That's not really a good representation of the early greek fathers by 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 again they're going to make this uh distinction between uh qua persona and qua essentia that i've outlined above so uh yeah uh, with the with the monarchy the father it's just talking about the fact that uh the the other two persons flow from him now uh with with the the spiration of the spirits it's going to be in a different way because the son he's the sole principle and then with the spirit, he is a principle with the son. But again, we speak of the father and the son, uh, aspiring to the spirit in different senses. And uh, there's a section of the Sumo where it talks about it, but I won't go into any more detail than that. Okay, so now let's look at this one of three thing. I'm going to read from a Christian scholar who's a good friend of mine, Dr. Bro Branson, and he quotes on this and he directly refutes Dr. White. Listen to what he said. Consider also that in the Quran and other early Muslim writings, Christian belief in the Trinity is depicted not as a belief that God is composed of three or contains three, as we might expect an egalitarian view to be described, but as belief that God is one of three, as we would expect a monarchical view to be described. Example, and he gives uh, some of the verses that Dr. White mentioned, which is chapter five, verse 72 and five, uh, 73, where it says Christians associate others with God and describes Christians or Trinitarians as, quote, those who say that Allah is one of three. Now listen, this is directly on Dr. White's point. Most Western scholars dismiss this kind of talk as a misunderstanding of the Trinity, but was it? Or was it simply that the kind of Trinitarianism Muhammad salam, and his companions were familiar with living around the eastern edge of the empire during the late 6th and early 7th century was monarchical? We need not conclude that its identification of Allah or God with the first person of the Trinity instead of the Trinity as a whole is a mistake. These Christian scholars are the worst. Oh my gosh. That was terrible. We have to we have to listen to that again. I'm not believing Jake because this is what Christians have told him. But okay, so now let's look at this one of three thing. I'm going to read from a Christian scholar who's a good friend of mine, Dr. Bro Branson, and he quotes on this and he directly refutes Dr. White. Listen to what he says. Consider also that in the Quran and other early Muslim writings, Christian belief in the Trinity is depicted not as a belief that God is composed of three or contains three, as we might expect an egalitarian view to be described, but as belief that God is one of three, as we would expect a monarchical view to be described. Example, and he gives uh, some of the verses that Dr. White mentioned. Which like he's he's basically saying the early Greek fathers were were a bunch of triatheists that god is only one of one of three uh that that's that's terrible again this is what happens when we don't have the distinction which the eastern fathers still make um i guess i could pull up uh john of da i think john of damascus uh john of damascus is a little bit later than when muhammad was writing but it's around the time he was he would represent um what muhammad would be would be running into let's see where's new advent um it'd be book one proof that there is a god concerning the nature of the deity proof that god is one not many uh concerning the word and the son of god a reasoned proof Okay, here we go. There's no... The, I have to be misunderstanding this one, Christian scholar. This is terrible. 
Wasn't the priest who talked to Muhammad an Aryan? Seems like it. Uh, because that, you know, that you're right. Oh my gosh. We're, we're, we're discovering stuff here. Um, Jay is actually streaming right now. Get trolled. Okay. So people are talking about um, the priest who Muhammad talked to being an Aryan. Um, and then the uh, historians have weird um, Trinitarian theology, especially the later ones. And then St. John of Damascus claimed Muhammad was influenced by an Aryan monk. Okay. So this actually does make sense with the way in which Jake is describing um, monarchical Trinitarianism, monarchical Trinitarianism. This exactly sounds like Arianism, like that the father only is Asse and that the that the essence of the son is derived from the father. This is exactly like Arianism. This is this is crazy. We've we've just discovered something new right now because this is John of Damascus, exactly how he's going to. Oh my. This is exactly how there you go. How John of Damascus is going to describe it right here. So then this one and only God is not wordless, and possessing the word, he will have it not as without a subsistence, nor as having had a beginning, nor as destined to cease to be for there was never a time when god was not word notice when god was not word but he ever possesses his own word begotten of himself not as our word is without a subsistence and dissolving into air but having a subsistence in him and life and perfection not proceeding out of himself but ever existing within himself for where could it be if it were to go outside of him for inasmuch as our nature is perishable and easily dissolved, our word is also without subsistence. But since God is everlasting and perfect, he will have his word subsistent in him, and everlasting and living and possessed of all the attributes, all the attributes, all the attributes of the beginner. For just as our word, proceeding as it does out of the mind, is neither wholly identical with the mind, nor utterly diverse from it. For so far as it proceeds out of the mind, it is different from it, while so far as it reveals the mind, it is no longer absolutely diverse from the mind. But having one in nature with the mind, it is yet to the, the subject diverse from it. So in the same manner, also the word of God in its independent subsistence is differentiated from him whom it derives its subsistence. Notice derives its subsistence. But inasmuch as it displays in itself the same attributes as is seen in God, it is of the same nature of, as God. Notice, of the same nature as God. For just as absolute perfection is contemplated in the Father, so also is, that, is it contemplated in the word that is begotten of him. Then he's going to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. And then, boom, the, the Holy Trinity. This is going to be really long. But, like, just read this if you want. Um, and this is uh, on an exposition of the Orthodox faith, book one, chapters like, f I think, f what was it, five through eight or four through six or something like that. Let's see, I have terrible memory. Nope, six through eight. Six through eight. But yeah, that, again, this is obviously not what he just described. But yeah, that, that sounds exactly like Arianism. That sounds exactly like Arianism. Wait. Shh. 
yeah, the the monarchy of the father is speaking about the certain hypostatic property that he has or the certain uh, notion that is of the father, not of any sort of because the the tradition um, will deny that there's the uh, that we can speak of uh, the paternity of the father being an absolute perfection. My my fellow, my mother's little brother, Christopher, how do you do, fellow? I think you might be talking to me. I wonder who's the most formidable online prot. <laughs> I would say Tom's digest is, and the irony is he's Catholic. Bro, don't do my don't do him like that. He's ordinary. Okay, I'll continue. But yeah, this whole talk of the monarchy, the the father, basically he's a describing Arianism. Oh wait, I'm accidentally sharing my own stream. This is kind of trippy. Okay, there you go. There you go. Ray Comfort has some of the strongest arguments against Rome. <laughs> okay, let's continue. Which is chapter 5, verse 72 and five, uh, 73, where it says Christians associate others with God and describes Christians or Trinitarians as, quote, those who say that Allah is one of three. Now listen, this is directly on Dr. White's point. Most Western scholars dismiss this kind of thought as a misunderstanding of the Trinity. But was it? Or was it simply that the kind of Trinitarianism Muhammad alayhi salam, and his companions were familiar with living around the eastern edge of the empire during the late 6th and early 7th century was monarchical? We need not... No, he's, it's Aryan. ...conclude that it's identification of Allah or God with the first person of the Trinity instead of the Trinity as a whole is a mistake. Any more than we should conclude that it's identification of the Son as a second person of the Trinity is a mistake. So, no, Dr. Branson clearly states in this that the Quran's representation of it is perfectly in line with his understanding of the Trinity and perhaps many of the Trinitarians that uh, the Prophet Muhammad alayhi salam, would come in contact with so maybe dr white is not familiar with that point but i think that he needs to consider it seriously now um what else do we have here we had a bunch of texts from the bible philippians 2 john 17 5 i believe um he, he read isaiah 9 6 first corinthians all these different biblical texts listen as i said if you want to play that game i could go to john 17 3 i could go to romans 9 5 for example where it says that the god over jesus christ is who is god the father now can god have a god over himself yes when we're talking about the son according um, with, with the dual predication that we can speak of um, in the hypostatic union, we can speak of the single subject of God, the son, uh, according uh, as he is, um, a, according to his human nature. So speaking with his dual predication, we can speak of uh, God, the God, the son, according to his humanity, having a God. So, yes, that would be completely fine. And then uh, then with uh, John 17, three. And let me just pull that up real quick of course dewey reams um ear i think is the the shorthand for dewey reams i'm going to share my screen real quick because these are just more bad muslim texts that they use there it is so now this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now glorify thou me, O Father, with thyself, with the glory which I had before the world was with thee. So notice right here, the only true God. He is speaking of the Father. In the New Testament, ooh, I can, I can highlight. Look at that. Oh, crap. This is, boom. Oh, no, I have to log in. This is dumb. Oh, wait, no, there it is. 
So with the only true God, God in the New Testament is often used as the notional name of the Father. It would, uh, we, we, every time you see God in these sort of contexts, you can take it to mean um, the paternity, the Father, and not necessarily uh, the essence of God, which is the way in which we use God later. The, the New Testament language is a bit different. And then Lonergan points this out in his um, uh, Pars Dogmatica on the, on the Trinity. It's very interesting to see how the New Testament uses different language than we use, because God for us is usually an essential predicate, where for the New Testament, it's a notional name of the Father. But either way, after that brief aside, let's go back to it. Trinity versus Tawheed. Let me see if there's anything in the chat. <laughs> that page flip by Jake was so sassy. Militant Thomist refutes Apology Anglicana based. Bro, you have to react to Ray Comfort's debate with Matt Dillahunty. It's so bad. Oh, that, that sounds fun, actually. I will. I might do that later. By the way, St. Athanasius of Alexandria's feast day is tomorrow. The terror of Arianism, Athanasius Condramundum. St. Athanasius, pray for us. I am often in awe that the heresy of Arianism did not survive, but much more obscure heresies did. Remember, Donatism and Arianism survived for a very long time before it died. It survived for centuries upon centuries uh, before it died. So, guys, Protestantism, too, will one day die. And I'm in Christian, sorry to tell you that because I know you're a Lutheran. So speaking of Muhammad, this man, after having chanced upon the Old and New Testaments, and likewise, it seems, having conversed with an Aryan monk, devised his own heresy. Oh, okay. Great. We will never die. You will always exist in our hearts. Well, no. The, the notion of God over himself seems to be irreflexive. Okay, so it would make no sense if Jesus Christ oh, is God in the same sense. way that God the Father is. Okay, so that's that's a point. John 17, 3, the only true God is God the Father. Jesus Christ explicitly states that. Then you're going to quote John 17, 5. You're going to go back and forth. I'm avoiding this. This has been done many, many times in, in Muslim debates. I think it's largely uh, played out, and we've done it over and over again. Now, uh, some other points here that I think need to be addressed from Dr. White was, um, oh, his presuppositionalism, maybe we can actually have a con uh, conversation about it at some point in a future debate. Uh, I think his epistemology is radically flawed, and the fact that he has to assume that the Bible and the Trinity are true in order for it to be true. Uh, he said, explicitly agreed with my argument, saying that Trinity is dependent on divine revelation. Well, yeah, that's precisely the point, because how in the world could anybody be expected to be judged by the fact whether or not they believe in the Trinity or know that the Trinity is true if they don't even know about it? Is Dr. White then going to say, well, the Amazonian who has no knowledge of the Trinity whatsoever, but maybe could rationally deduce that there is some type of creator, is he going to be punished for not knowing the Trinity? Well, that's a question that Dr. White has to answer. And I can answer that question for you from a Catholic point of view. We did go over it a bit yesterday in the stream, but uh, the idea of invincible ignorance. So the Trinity as an article of faith is something <clears throat> which you are bound to know. So uh, as being something you are bound to know, you will be judged about whether you know the Trinity or not. But if somebody does not have the means to know it, which your Amazonian uh, would not have the means to know it, uh, they would be classified as somebody who is invincibly ignorant. Now, if these people make an act of perfect contrition, 
uh, for the love of God and um, hate, basically love of God and then hatred of their own sin for the sake of the love of God, then uh, they will be saved um, in that state of invincible ignorance. Or some will say uh, that they will receive some sort of revelation of, of, of the articles of faith, such as I believe uh, St. Thomas teaches that, if I'm remembering correctly. So they'll send a preacher or um, or or they'll maybe just get some sort of esoteric knowledge. So I don't th again, I don't know why that is a, a huge issue, why something can't be true and then only uh, revealed by divine revelation. But yes, it is a necessary article of faith. Now, he also mentioned he tries to cast doubt on human philosophy in general. He says, well, even contingency arguments and ontological arguments and these things have been disputed. Well, does it mere, from it merely being disputed, does it mean it's problematic? Well, no, of course not, because if that's the case, then this debate here is silly because I'm disputing the Trinity. Now, because the Trinity is disputed, even amongst supposed Christians where you have Unitarians, does that mean that it's necessarily false? No, of course not. That's what the whole point of the subject of this debate is. Now, he hasn't even really defined being in person yet. I hope that he'll be able to do so. I hope that he'll be able to respond in his rebuttal to some of my arguments, and I'll list them off again. Unfortunately, I'm running out of time, but uh, I hope that he will at least even attempt to respond to my arguments in the way that I have attempted to respond to his arguments. I may have missed out on a few points, but that's all I have to say. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Okay. okay and then the question of the Aryan versus Nestorian monks, some people are bringing it up in the chat. Um, an excellent scholarly edition of the Chronicles of Bahira, the Nestorian monk slash priest with whom Muhammad conversed. Interesting. I didn't know we had that. But it's Brill, so it's going to be a million dollars. So, you know, you know what to do, boys. There's something that starts with a Z and ends with an LIB that would help us out with, with getting that edition. So just came here. Is this guy rapping? No, this is I'm just putting it on one and a half time speed. So speaking of Luther, Christian, do you think defending Lefebvre off the basis of him being scandalized is the same as defending orthos or prots because of trauma? I think uh, there's a actually I, I usually do. Uh, not necessarily with Luther because Luther was, I, I have no sympathy for him, but I do have a sympathy with um, a lot of those who did make the decision towards uh, schism um, during the Protestant Reformation because the, the situation in the late medieval church in some areas was really bad. It was absolutely horrible. The, the type of stuff that was happening. So it did make sense that um, in the case of that, they are less culpable for some of the actions they made. So uh, yeah, I do, I do often bring that up uh, when I talk about them. <laughs> I'm 28 minutes behind. Is this on two times speed? Uh, no, this is on one and a half time speed. So, uh, yeah, I just looked it up and there are claims that he was either Mandean, Nestorian, Arian, Jacobite, or Iconoclast. Yeah, that and I think a, another important point is that he was also in the Middle East. And uh, I'm assuming they didn't have very rigorous seminaries back then when it comes to training on these topics. So it's not like he ran into like St. John of Damascus or something. Like if he ran into St. John of Damascus, it would have been much different. And then it's on one and a half times speed. But I think I already covered that. Hey, so I now have a 10-minute uh, uh, rebuttal as well. I will, in the 10 minutes, uh, seek to look at the opening presentation and use five minutes to respond to uh, what was just uh, said, if you want to sort of keep track of these things. So many things here. Um, first of all, we have agreed, I think, uh, and this is going to be part of, I'm sure, the cross-examination. Uh, my position is the doctrine of the Trinity is based upon divine revelation, the action of God in history, in the incarnation of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, his ascension of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This happened in history. It is then recorded for us in Scripture. And therefore, all the answering of questions that people might have 
is based upon scriptural foundations. And so if you want to say, well, man's human philosophy is above what God says in scripture, I, I, I immediately just simply say, there's, there's where the issue is. And I don't think the vast majority of Muslims would actually take that perspective. I don't think anybody really takes that perspective. <clears throat> what we're saying is that there's a coherence between uh, truth, which is revealed, um, qua, uh, divine revelation, and then qua revelation uh, in nature. So if there's any sort of non-coherence between the two, then uh, one of those two has an issue. So, for example, if there was there, it's a fundamental law, which is naturally revealed, the law of non-contradiction. Something can't be X and not X at the same time, in the same manner. So if we read in sacred scripture, uh, let's say it said that one plus one equals two, and then another place it said one plus one equals three. Now, if it was speaking about these in the same time, the same manner, then obviously there'd be a contradiction in scripture. And since it contradicts, uh, natural revelation, then it cannot be divine revelation because divine revelation, um, so well, technically they're both divine revelation, but special revelation cannot um, contradict human uh, natural revelation. But there have been obviously great disagreements. So when we talk about being in person, what are we talking about? The being of God is that which makes God God. There is one God, Yahweh, and God's being is described. More properly, that would be essence, but I guess that's an okay definition. ...is infinite and eternal and unchanging and all these things for us in scripture. And yet the reality of the scriptural revelation is that truth is continued on in the New Testament and the fact that the Father is described as Yahweh, the Son is described as Yahweh, the Spirit is the Spirit of Yahweh, the functions and, and actions of Yahweh are attributed to Father, Son, and Spirit in different ways, becomes the foundation upon which we have to define what is absolutely unique. One of the problems here is that if you look at some of the things that have been said, if Jake's position was true, God could not be unique. God cannot be unique because you have to be able to use philosophical categories and to uh, answer certain philosophical, philosophical questions. What if God is absolutely unique? What if he is absolutely unique in how he exists? What if he's absolutely unique in how he's revealed himself? What if uh, Jesus is absolutely unique as the God-man? And hence, none of these categories can even begin to express the fullness of what we have in divine revelation. God couldn't be unique. He would be, have to be limited to what human philosophy can judge him to be. Again, that then helps us to understand, well, people struggle to define the term person. Why? Because we as human beings are taking our human categories and projecting them upward upon something that's far greater than we are, and we cannot help but when we yeah but that's not really how uh historically the language about the trinity developed it was primarily like you look at uh, saint thomas aquinas's exposition of the trinity it is profoundly shaped by his um exposition of the gospel of john that is something which is and uh um, emory makes this point that um no emory is his name emory giles or giles emory why why do i man i suck with remembering stuff like that Giles Emery. See, it's such a weird French name. It was translated from French. But yeah, Emery makes this point that with St. Thomas Aquinas' exposition of Trinitarian theology, it is from the, the words of sacred scripture. And then from the words of sacred scripture, we've, we're forming these definitions for these terms in which we appropriate from human philosophy. So nobody's really saying this. And um, the, the tradition of, of Trinitarian thought has went in that way. Okay, let me see. Oh, man. So, we're just looking through the chat. Sorry, guys. The problem is your foundationalist presuppositions that make you affirm the filioque in absolute divine simplicity. Interesting. 
If not for Islam, the Council of Florence might have succeeded, to be honest. Look what they've taken away from us. Look what they've taken away from us. Oh, gosh. I sympathize more for the demon-possessed Muhammad than the Mark of Ephesus. Come on now. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a difficult choice, but yeah. We think of a person, and, and this was happening over and over again. Um, Jake was constantly separating the persons and using the same categories for being in person and saying, see, there's a contradiction here. Not recognizing that the reason we make the distinction is a biblical reason. It's found in our ultimate authorities. And we're simply using this language to answer questions about what scripture says. And so when he says, but does any of this make sense? In whose judgment? By what standard? By the standard that Jesus taught? The standard Jesus taught is inspired scripture. So uh, did Jesus concern himself about Aristotle or Plato? And the standards they set? No, he didn't. He, he said that men would be judged by what God's word revealed about them and to them. That would be the final judgment. And so when, when you say, does it make sense? Yes, it makes sense in light of divine revelation. And as long as you allow the definitions to flow from divine revelation, it makes perfect sense. It is a created artificial argument when you say, well, I'm going to take these lesser definitions, these more narrow definitions, and I'm going to force them into the divine revelation. That's the only way you can create the contradiction. The, create, the contradiction isn't there in scripture. The contradiction is when we take human philo philosophical categories and try to cram them onto the incredible reality that the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel. He was the almighty God, as, as we're told in, in Isaiah, come to dwell amongst his people. That is a pretty major thing. That is an amazing thing. That is what the Christians have been proclaiming. Islam denies that and turns around from that and goes back from that high revelation and in the process then creates these arguments. But the problem is, like I said, those arguments are not uh, what we have in the Quran itself. We'll get to that in the second rebuttal period. Now, it's interesting. John Calvin emphasized that, that Jesus was autotheos. And so what he's, what the argument that was made earlier about aseity and the Father, Son, and Spirit, this is a good example. Aseity has to do with the being of God. Aseity has to do with the eternal, unchanging being of God. The relationships that Calvin's addressing and that the post-Nicene fathers are addressing between Father, Son, and Spirit is not talking about the being of God and is not talking about temporal relationships between the persons. This is, again, where we take our human categories, read them backwards improperly into something that is not actually a human category. We think of person as a person with a body and, and hair and, and, and limited experience and, and finite and so on and so forth. And it's very difficult for us to, to separate ourselves from that kind of language. But what they're talking about is the logical relationship between the divine persons and specifically in how we would... Did you just say logical relationship between the divine persons? I, I think he's speaking colloquially. I'll give him... But what they're talking about is the logical relationship between the divine persons and specifically in how we would identify them before creation. And so once you have creation, then you have redemption taking place. You have what's called the economic trinity where you can see that the Father, Son, and Spirit take different roles in, in, in how revelation takes place and in dealing with the people of Israel. Uh, Genesis 18 and 19, for example, you have uh, uh, Yahweh walking with Abram by the oaks of Mamre and raining fire and brimstone from Yahweh in heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So you have, you have distinctions being made all the way back in, in Genesis that we must allow to determine our position. Which is more important, even for a Muslim, which is more important, Genesis and Abraham or Socrates or Aristotle? Socrates and Aristotle must be made, or some modern person, if you want to really get up to date and become an analytical philosopher or something. Um, Based analytical philosophy hater, although cringe Socrates and Aristotle hater. Those people or the ancient revelation that Jesus said we would be held accountable to. And in fact, that Jesus said was God speaking to us and that we would be held accountable to. That really is a question I would, I would want to ask not only every Christian, but every Muslim as well. The law of classical identity was, was raised. And again, are we talking here about how you identify finite creatures 
or how the infinite God communicates with finite creatures and reveals himself. Is there not a difference between the two? Of course there is. There has to be. Uh, it, it's interesting that in the quotation that was uh, that was given, uh, that that this idea only has relevance outside of, uh, does not have relevance outside of Christian theology. I found that fascinating. I'd love to expand upon that because of the fact that that says most of what this debate is about. Christian theology is bigger than man's philosophical systems because of what happened in history. There is an empty tomb that sheds light on all the rest of history. Sadly, the Quran closes that tomb and denies that it actually was ever filled with a body. And so there's no light to come from that tomb. And there's no mediator to be able to explain these things and to reveal these things. But the fact of the matter is, Christian theology that says, Emmanuel, God with us, explodes these categories and says, you must expand them so that they can actually accurately reflect what is found in scripture, which is God speaking. And what is the most important thing? God speaking or man speaking? I think it's very important that we explain what God has said in his word, but man's categories can never be the ultimate authority in defining what God's word has actually revealed. Uh, there then was an accusation of social Trinitarianism, which again, if what you mean by that is recognition that the New Testament speaks of a relationship between father and son, that's not social Trinitarianism. That's just historical Trinitarianism. Uh, the, the kind of social Trinitarianism that's normally being described, uh, fundamentally historical. Uh, man's categories can never be the ultimate authority in defining what God's word has actually revealed. Uh, there then was an accusation of social Trinitarianism, which again, if what you mean by that is recognition that the New Testament speaks of a relationship between father and son, that's not social Trinitarianism. That's just historical Trinitarianism. Uh, the, the kind of social Trinitarianism that's normally being described uh, fundamentally does have a problem with monotheism. But who is the one who keeps saying, one God, Yahweh, revealed his father, son, and Holy Spirit? The New Testament writers making these identifications. That's not social Trinitarianism. So we need to be very careful with the terms we're using. And my time is up as well. And I think I did pretty much the exact same amount of time with Jacob. I'm not trying to imitate Jacob. I'm really not. Um, besides, I would look really silly in one of those hats, um, uh, especially with, with it saying the Muslim metaphysician on it. That would, but I've noticed no one has offered to send me one, either one. So I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what to. I, I'm hoping you don't sell it. You, you don't have like an online store or anything, do you, Jacob? No, I don't. But if you want one, I can send you one for free. <laughs> I, something tells me you'd get shut down really fast if you tried to tried to sell something like that. But anyways, all right, five-minute rebuttals. Believe you me, five minutes goes very, very, very quickly. So, uh, Jake, your turn. Okay, so I've got five minutes here. Let me try to answer as much as I possibly can in that amount of time. Now, uh, Dr. White, in his, in his opening statement, actually mentioned, and, and now again somewhat, about the discontinuity between the old, the supposedly the Quran and the Bible. Well, your idea that God is a Trinitarian God seems to be entirely in discontinuity with the Old Testament text. In fact, uh, I think I've heard you say that the revelation of the Trinity was in between Malachi and Matthew. Which... No, I, I legitimately believe that Adam and Abraham and Moses and the prophets explicitly believed in the Trinity. And I, th I, I mean, I'm not going to go through all of it um, during this time. I guess I could one time show about how Catholic theology historically has interpreted certain Old Testament texts, but James White brought up a good one, that there was there was Yahweh on, on earth with Abraham, um, and then there was Yahweh raining down um, fire from heaven, and then there was also um, about uh, let us create man in our own image, and then there's the uh, prophetic text and stuff like that, but uh, we can't really get into that in time. But yeah, the the revelation of the Trinity uh, publicly happened. Well, pub it publicly in the sense of public and explicit, because in the Old Testament it's public and prophetic or public and um, implicit, but nothing that's really uh, explicit and clear. But yeah, it would be uh, correct to say that um, that the public and explicit revelation of the Trinity happened then, but we need to make a very strong distinction. And 
Lexi just brought me coffee. So thanks be to God. Which means that it was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament. And you can look at and take New Testament eyes and look back and read things into the Old Testament. Fine, but you're not going to be making our Jewish friends any happier. And in fact, the Jews, in this case, would agree with the Muslims and our general conception of God and would disagree with the, with the Trinity. So who's the one that's in discontinuity with the text? Well, the Jews are uh, – gosh, we've got to be really clear. Um, got to be really uh, careful here. <laughs> um, they – are rejected of God and are not possessors of the Holy Spirit. So they are merely pretending to be the people of the Old Testament, and they are the apostate people who have left the people of God, which continued in the Catholic Church. So I couldn't possibly care less what the Jews say about the Old Testament. Because they do not have the spirit who inspired the Old Testament. So in the words of St. Paul, there is a veil which is placed over their hearts. They are blind. So do you want somebody with a veil placed over their eyes to try to read the Old Testament? You might as well try to ask a blind person to read the Old Testament. Blind person can listen to like an audiobook or something. They can't read it. So, yeah, I couldn't possibly care any less what the Jews say about the Old Testament. Considering, especially, that uh, they are in the rabbinic tradition following those who killed the second person of the Trinity. I don't really care for what they say. Of the Old Testament, I would say that you are more so than the Muslims, and I think that, in fact, many of our Jewish brothers would agree with this point. Now, Dr. White makes the accusation that I conflated categories. I didn't see any evidence of, of this whatsoever than, other than merely asserting it to be the case. He said that God, Jake's God cannot be unique. Well, why? Yes, of course he can be uh, unique. Consider the fact that my God is Ase, although I've already demonstrated that your God is not Ase. My God is unique because he's Ase. He's self-existent, whereas Jesus Christ wasn't. Again, our God is Ase Quasentia. Also given the fact that he's omniscient. He's the omniscient creator of all that exists. If that's not unique, then I don't know what it is. I, honestly, I, I lose a touch really of what unique would be at that point. It seems sufficient enough to say that it's unique. And guess what? Although it's unique, it's understandable. It doesn't contradict reason, which God gave us. Now, is Jake putting reason over revelation? No. The Muslim position is that reason and revelation can never contradict each other because they're always going to be in agreement because God. Yeah, we would agree with that, but you haven't substantiated that. There's a contradiction. God is a logical being that actually makes sense, and he presents himself in a way that actually makes sense. Okay, so uh, Jake is not putting uh, logic and reason over the Quran or over God or over the Bible, but uh, he's perfectly understandable. And there's a difference between God being contradictable, uh, God being a contradiction or appearing to be a contradiction, and us fully comprehending God. Those are two different things. Now, Dr. White also says, he also basically admits you have to assume that the Bible is true in order for the Trinity to be true. Well, fine, that's fine. Maybe we can have a discussion about epistemology and whether or not the Bible is true at another point. And, uh, you know, that somewhat would come prior to this, to be honest with you. Um, again, he repeats that my arguments are not in the Quran. I've already addressed that. He mentioned John Calvin and Asaiti. And yeah, John Calvin makes the distinction between the essence of God. He says that Christ possesses the essence of God, which is Asay, but in terms of his person, meaning the son, he is and does have a beginning. He is not Asay. And to say, and even take the position as some of the reformers said, that Christ's divine nature can be mediated to him and still be Asay is flat out absurd. Dr. Ryan Mullins writes that in the paper. And if I have more time, maybe I'll read that quote. But that's not just the position of the authority. Like, okay, people always ask me about this, but I guess I can uh, take a take a minute or two to, to talk about it. But Calvin, um, Calvin's idea of autotheos, 
or autotheos, I guess it would be. So God of himself, that's all autotheos means. Now, if Calvin was saying that according to the hypostasis, the son is autotheos, God of himself, and this is basically what St. Bellarmine says in response to Calvin, then he would be in a grave error. He would be against Nicene Orthodoxy. But if Calvin is saying according to the essence, which is shared by the three persons, that Christ is God of himself, then he is merely talking about aseity. So again, this is the distinction which is made qua persona, qua essentia. According to essence, according to person. So yeah, that that's that's about it. It's it's not it's not like super duper uber complicated. But uh, again, Jake would have to say that um, would have to substantiate that this is um, an absurd position. To say that aseity is something that can be mediated is completely absurd. Um, also, it's it's not it's not mediated. You're what you're thinking that we're talking about is that the entirety of like like you have I, I don't even know. Um, I don't even know how you would think about it. Like you have like little, you have father up here and then father just like duplicates, I guess you could say duplicates his substance. Boom. Down here to the sun. It's more so in the, my favorite analogy to use actually for the Trinity would be, uh, it's like you have up here, you have this lake and then you have this stream flowing down here. And then you have, um, a, a little, another lake at the bottom. Now, in this analogy, the water would be the essence of God, the ase essence of God, and then it's flowing, boom, 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 and the top lake would be the Father, Middle Son, Bottom Spirit, and we have to make a distinction here because this would be a sort of uh, partialistic sort of way of viewing the Trinity because you have this defined lake up here, bam, bam, then it also would go against... Um, um, circumcession um because you would not you would have uh you, you wouldn't have the the essence being uh kind of, the person's kind of in and out of each other dancing around and it, that's circumcession is the weirdest idea to explain but yeah that that would be um that that would be about it when it comes to when it comes to that so you'd have to demonstrate a, a contradiction with that so uh actually man i, I have another thing so let me the uh, Father Lagrange brings up this analogy, which I think might be helpful here to help out. Sorry, the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Okay. So let's... I'll bring up a picture of a triangle. Shutterstock triangle royalty-free images. Wow, thank you, Shutterstock. I'm going to zoom in. I'm going to share my screen so you guys know exactly how a triangle looks like. Ew, not Lagrange. What? What's wrong with Lagrange? What the heck? I like Christian Wagner. Really sharp and intelligent. Thank you, bud. I appreciate you too. I appreciate every single one of you. 
Did I spell triangle wrong? I did spell triangle wrong. I said, yes, really sharp and intelligent. Spells it triangle. Ah, nice. Okay, so here you have a triangle on the screen. Now, the way Lagrange will speak about it is just imagine this line wasn't here, right over here on the right. So imagine this line is gone and you just have this one angle right here. So you have this one angle and then boom. So this is obviously imperfect, but uh, you have the middle part right here. The area of the triangle is going to be the essence of God, analogously, obviously. And the angle right here is going to be the father. So the father is has the, um, the essence right here, and then he communicates the essence to the other two angles. But there's no duplication of essence. It's the same essence that is shared by all three angles, yet they are distinct from one another with the same shared essence. So that is what Lagrange is going to bring up. And he keeps bringing this up over and over again um, in his commentary on Primal Pars. And I've really come to really come to like it. I think it's a very, uh, it is a very helpful analogy to use. Okay. Christian, in your analogy, the stream is the Holy Spirit and the lakes are the Father and the Son, right? No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, the the stream is actually the sun, and then the bottom lake is the spirit. Because you see the uh, the uh, the sun is God of God, right there, boom, boom. And then the spirit flows from the Father through the sun. So I think I, I like the analogy, especially because it can illustrate also how um, the Father and the Son are one principle. And also how we can speak of from the Father and some through the Son. Yeah, Father Lagrange is arguably the best theologian of the 20th century. Yeah, because he just synthesizes um, the entirety of the Thomistic tradition. It's great. How does Affiliate fit into this uh, when it comes to what? Uh, with, with the analogy of the, uh, the, the streams. Uh, the analogy of the triangle, it doesn't. It doesn't really fit in. Um, it doesn't actually fit in at all. I guess you could kind of say, um, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. Uh, with with the analogy of the streams, the, the father's up there, and then the, the son is God of God, the stream um, from the from the father. And then you have the spirit being the little bottom lake, and it comes from the father through the son. So that's a kind of way of visualizing the filioque. Because that's historically been spoken of as from the father through the son, because they're principles in, um, they're, they're one principle, but each one of them, is not uh it does not join together in being the one principle in the same sense i need to heal my lagrange distaste what did you read of him that you didn't like i'm very curious uh you have to read his his work on um three ages of the interior life so good so good i'm, I'm i should do like a whole a whole series on um mystical theology from that it's very good but i will continue because we're only an hour in uh, to the to the debate, and we have been streaming for an hour and fifty minutes right now. So we will see how long it takes my wife to come in here and force me to finish the stream.
let's just point out an obvious fact that Dr. White didn't answer or really address any of my argumentation, except other than admitting that the Trinity cannot be known apart from Scripture. Uh, so that's a huge problem. If Dr. White cannot address my other three or four arguments, and he hasn't even begun to establish the Trinity. Consider the fact that he talked about being in person and saying that these things need to be known or defined by Scripture. Okay, but you haven't even given us a, a rigorous definition of these terms. You haven't clearly defined what being in person is, the distinction between them, how they relate to one another. You haven't even done any of that work. I have established all that so far. Clearly explained to the audience. And so right now, I feel you're inviting me to something that I don't even know what it is. So I can't accept it. I can't even deny it because I don't know what it means. Um, what other points do we have here? He mentions classical identity and mentions that classical identity is different from God and creation. Do I hold that position? No, it's absurd. Why? Because the logic of classical identity... It's not something that was invented by Aristotle and these uh, Aristotelian philosophers. No, it's something that was known and discovered. It's something that even a baby basically understands. I, I, I do. I do get that. And I, and I, I agree with classical identity. I just um, don't understand why he doesn't understand how the medieval theologians, when they talk about, talk about the ways in which things could be distinguished um, and the way in which something is truly called identical to another thing. So uh, yeah, just, I, I would again, exhort, uh, Jake to, to read better sources. It's not different from God and creation because it's a logical, necessary law. It's not contingent based upon subject matter. So yes, the laws of logic and how they're classically understood do apply to God. God cannot be a contradiction. God cannot violate classical identity, and God cannot violate excluded middle. If that's the case, then we can all pack up and go home because we can have contradictory positions and call it a night. I think my time is up. All right. So I have five minutes now as well. Okay. You haven't clearly defined anything yet. This is interesting. This the interaction of Father, oh, Son, and Holy Spirit in Scripture. Those are not the standards you want. You want modern analytical philosophy. And I say to you, they are insufficient, and that is not what the origin and belief of the doctrine of the Trinity is. And I have a feeling that most early Muslims would have agreed with all of that. Uh, you said that there's a discontinuity with the Old Testament text with what we're, we're saying. You're not understanding what I'm saying. The, old, the New Testament fully understands the context of the Old Testament, utilizes it, quotes from it, understands it. There's nothing like that in the Quran whatsoever. There is no evidence that the author of the Quran has a meaningful understanding of the content of what is found in the New Testament and its revelation of who Jesus Christ was and its teaching about him. None. Therefore, to say that it actually refutes what Christians believe simply doesn't make any sense whatsoever. When we look at the rebuttal period, uh, you, were at, you were asked, well, you know, the Quran is, you said the Quran is meant for farmers. But then you turn around and said, well, it does refute all forms of Trinitarianism because it says, do not say three. Every single time it says three, the next line in Arabic is there is only one God, Allah. So what's it saying? It's making the allegation of polytheism. Now, why should I believe, because you, you did, it, it, I think you slipped at one point, Jake. I honestly think you did because you, you quoted from someone you called a friend of yours and said, well, maybe, maybe Muhammad just knew about the uh, monarchical uh, Christians in his area. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that Muhammad's understanding of Christianity determines the text of the Quran? I need to know if you believe that, because most Muslims believe the Quran was written on an eternal tablet. There is not a fingerprint of man on it, and Muhammad's understanding is irrelevant. Now, I would agree. Uh, I would agree that it's very, very important to, to talk about, for example, what happened when Muhammad met with the Christians from Najran, and the result being part of, of, of Surah 3. I agree that Muhammad grew in his understanding. What that means is that also explains why the Quran misrepresents the doctrine of the Trinity, because Muhammad did not understand it either. But then that fundamentally denies what you believe about what the Quran actually is. So we need to understand what's going on there. By the way, Romans 9.5 does not say uh, that Jesus has a God over him. If it was talking about Jesus in the incarnate state, that wouldn't be an issue. Uh, but from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God overall, blessed forever. Uh, I have an entire section on Romans 9.5 in the Forgotten Trinity, if you want to look at the syntax of that particular uh, description that is found there as, as well. Uh, by the way, it was said, well, if the Trinity can't be understood through natural revelation, if it's not just a part of reflection upon creation, which it is not, it's a, it, it, the Trinity is based on what God did in history, and not everybody knows what God did in history, then how can they be judged? They're judged as sinners. They're judged for rejecting God's role in their life. They're not judged for rejecting the Trinity. That's, that's nowhere, nowhere said. They're judged for the fact that they did not give thanks to God or honor him as God. Now, could someone be judged who knows the Trinity is true and then rejects it? That's a completely different category. 
but the idea that, well, it has to be a part of this revelation. And Romans chapter one, you made, uh, you made a, a, a reference about it. And it's very, very important. What Romans one says is that God's being, not the fullness of his being, but just simply his divine Godhead is what is revealed in scripture. We believe in natural theology, but there are limits to what natural theology can reveal. And that does not therefore put constrictions upon anything else. You said reason and revelation go perfectly well together. Yes, Jake, they do. But you and I have very different understandings of man's reason in the fallen state. Here is a major, major difference between Christians and Muslims. Man's reason has been darkened. And you know where that's taught? In the very same chapter you quoted from, Romans chapter one, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Their foolish understanding became darkened. And so reason of a, of a mind that has been fully open to God's truth will, of course, be in perfect uh, harmony with God's revelation. But not every mind has thusly been so opened uh, in this particular time period. So five minutes goes very, very, very quickly. And uh, with that, I believe, now do you want to uh, just continue the same, same order? So uh, you ask first or, or what? I'm leaving that up to you. Yeah, I can just ask first and then you can follow with the 10 minutes. Okay, that's fine. that sounds good. Okay. All right, I'll uh, start the timer when you're ready to go. Okay, give me one second. Okay, so I'm ready. Now, my first question to you, Dr. White, since it was part of my argumentation, is the LPT. I would like to know from you, when you say that the Father is God, is that an identity statement or a statement of predication? And we were already went over that. The relationship between Father, which is um, a notional name referring to paternity, um, and the relationship between essence is that of a minor virtual distinction. So, uh, I don't think that uh, either one of those options are really relevant to what's being asserted. What we are saying is that there is one being of God that is unlimited, not limited by space, not limited by time, and therefore can be shared by more than one person. And that in divine revelation, scripture tells us that, for example, the father is identified as Yahweh, the son is identified as Yahweh, and the spirit is identified as Yahweh. And so it is not, the, the, see, this is where your primary problem is. Uh, I really believe it's right here. You're trying to say, well, we are going to use these categories and we're going to force them so that it creates a conflation of being in person. And I simply go, this doesn't allow that. So if you want to ask a question about what this says, the answer is, the father is Yahweh, not exhaustively in the sense of saying the father is Yahweh and no one else could be, that's Unitarianism. But the father is Yahweh in possessing incompleteness, the entirety of the divine being. So it again goes back to by what standard? By what standard are, do we answer the question? So you're saying that it's not relevant. That was actually a terrible answer, by the way. Well, I just heard it. No, I didn't he, say that. He, well, let, let me finish. What, what I heard you say is that it's not relevant and that you didn't choose an option. I didn't hear a clear option being taken. Now, I read from William Lane Craig where he stated that if these declarations are intended to imply that statements like the Father is God are identity statements, then he threatened the doctrine of the Trinity with logical incoherence. So it seems obvious to me, as well as other Christians, that think that there is a significant difference between an is of identity and an is of predication. And if you're unable to tell us what it is, I think you have a massive problem. So are, no, are you I, still not taking a position on whether it's an is of identity or an is of predication? Uh, I, I'll repeat the answer that I just gave. Um, the question you're asking is insufficiently broad to allow for a biblical answer. And I reject William Lane Craig for the very reason that he subjugates biblical revelation to the same philosophical categorization that limits the possibilities, which ends up forcing him into historical uh, heresies. And he embraces them. Why? Based. Because I have been saying for 15, maybe 20 years that Bill Craig has his order of epistemology upside down, reversed. For him, philosophy comes first, and that creates theology. I believe that that is a, a disaster. So please don't say that I, that I said it's not relevant. I said the categories of your question are insufficient given the biblical categories of revelation. Oh. And with, with that statement, um, we can talk about the order of being and then the order of knowing, which James White uh, kind of conflates. 
with the order of being, uh, theology is prior to philosophy, but with the order of knowing, uh, natural uh, special revelation is built off of the natural revelation, which we know. So, for example, when scripture reveals itself, it is presupposing, uh, so to speak, that we know certain things about, uh, we know how language works, we know how reality works, and, and so on and so forth. That's that's the way in which um, just uh, propositions are proposed to us is the order of, uh, in the order of knowing, is that uh, reason is prior to revelation. We need reason in order to understand revelation. So there you go. That's okay, I'd thing. like to move. I'd like to move on to the next question, if that's okay. So um, my question is: Is aseity a necessary attribute of God? Yes, I mean, and that is that is of course applied to Yahweh. Yahweh is most definitely uh, absolutely self-contained and and uh, depend upon nothing outside of himself. Is the Son Yahweh? The Son participates and shares the one being that is Yahweh, the divine being. Yes. Is the person of the Son Ase? Personhood is not being. You're, you're conflating categories. So you're asking a question that cannot possibly have a meaning because in the definition we've already given, person is distinguished from being and the being of the son is what possesses aseity. The relationship between father, son, and spirit is atemporal and logical. And to ask that question is to conflate categories and create heresy. He's actually right about that. Why would it be when uh, explicitly Calvin states that the person of the son has a beginning and he's not assay? So I didn't ask merely. Oh, gosh. That's not what Calvin means. Calvin is talking about um, an atemporal um, origin. That's the question. It's brought up by Calvin himself. He but did not say, he did not, whatever, you'd have to give me a specific reference. I will, Calvin did not say that the son as the son had a beginning in time since he, he taught he was out of theos. He, te he teaches that the son as a person has a beginning, but I want to move on. I'll no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Well, 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 okay, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can ask me about it and I'll, I'll read you again the direct quote. So um, do you think that aseity is a property that can be shared? No. Meaning, can it be mediated to another? Um, no, because it has to do with the being of God. And there's only one being of God that could possibly be self-sufficient and uncreated. Yeah, so then how can the son possess aseity if he comes from the father? Because you keep conflating being in person. No, <laughs> but even if the, even I just if the, don't even think if you the, seem to be able to see that, that we're talking about it. the being of God, aseity, and then you have the father, son, the spirit, full possession of that being and their relationship with one another. You are mixing categories. That's It's, it's creation of contradiction through denial of the ultimate authority of scripture to define the categories. No, I, I'm saying that even if it's contained in the essence of God, the fact that the essence of God is mediated to the Son, He could not possibly have a seity because a seity is not a property that can be shared or mediated in that sense. That's what, what I'm claiming. Now, well, I, I believe that the Son is altatheosi, is God in and of Himself. Uh, the the only thing that is quote unquote mediated is in a logical, not a temporal or ontological sense. It's yeah, simply talking about relationship. Wait, wait. What I'm claiming now, well, I, I believe that the Son is altatheosi, is God in and of Himself. Uh, the, the only thing that is quote-unquote mediated is in a logical, not a temporal or ontological sense. Is he saying the relations between the persons aren't ontologic, ontological, but they're really logical? The persons aren't really distinct, but only logically distinct? That, that yeah, that's really bad. That's Sibelianism. Oh, no. Oh, no, James. No, 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 James. Please don't do that to me. It's yeah, simply talking about relationship. It is not talking about uh, how... Uh, it, it, we're almost turning the being of God into a physical substance that can be put through a pipe or something. And that's, that's obviously, hopefully we all can recognize completely wrong. 
Okay, so I'll move on from that topic. Yeah, that uh, I want to know because you you did state in your debate, and I think I accurately represented you that you believe that the persons of the Trinity are three centers of self consciousness, each having a will. Now, based on this conception, if you affirm it, how do you clearly distinguish between polytheism and, mon and monotheism? This is interesting how James White answers this, and I want we, us to pay attention to this. Uh, I think that is a quotation that is coming from a Q and A session with a uh, modalist. So you might want to actually go to the specific discussion where I laid these things out in the forgotten in Trinity, rather than a cross-examination question with a modalist where you would have modalism as the context of answering the question of someone who denies would the you, existence of the person. So you wouldn't maintain that definition that you gave? Would you change it? I, I don't think that's the definition that I gave. Could you give a direct quote? Uh, yeah, you, you, he literally asked you if you believed in a three-minded God and you avoided answering the question and eventually he said, yes, you believe that there's three centers of self-consciousness. He said, yes. So well, I mean, so, if, so if I you don't to, affirm that, so, that's so, fine. So I'm responding to a modalist and indicating that Jesus, for example, knows of the Father's existence and his existence with the Father in eternity past, and that somehow becomes a definitional statement? Well, let's move on because... Yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty shady how he answered that. We can't now tie down what you said. I have what you said, but we'll look at it later. Uh, <laughs> my question then to you more broadly then would be, uh, how do you distinguish between monotheism and polytheism? I said in my opening statement, there is one God, Yahweh, who created all things, who is eternal without beginning and without end. How, how, how much more basic do I have to get? I would define it as, um, uh, if we were going to have the Trinity be tritheism, it would be that there would be a real distinction between the hypostasis and the essence of God. That, that's just, man, that would be, that'd be polytheism. Uh, I think it requires a lot more than that, because when we're talking about these different conceptions of the Trinity, you yourself admitted that there's problems with social Trinitarianism. It seems to me that your definition is a form of social Trinitarianism, and I don't understand how you differentiate that from polytheism. Well, um, I, I think that clearly shows that you have not understood what it is that I'm saying. Um, anyone who's read The Forgotten Trinity knows that I very, very plainly presented in the book entire defenses of the fact that there's only one true God. And so polytheism would be the assertion that there are multiple gods, not that Father, Son, and Spirit in full possession of the one being of God can have communi communion with one another, okay. which is so, what Christians have believed from the beginning. How do you define the term being and what makes the persons one? Being, again, is what makes God, God, Yahweh. It is uncreated, unlimited. And what makes the persons one? I don't know what you mean by what makes the persons one. Again, that would be a definition of essence. Go go back to the beginning if you want uh, how I, my discussion of being. My time is up, so. Yep, that's what my clock was telling me. <laughs> I wasn't watching it. Okay, timer. There we go. I wasn't watching the uh, the timer either. All right, my turn. Ten minutes. Okay, Jake, is it your position that the author of the Quran could have been influenced by variant views of Christology and the Trinity uh, by Christians that he ran into? No, it's not that the author of the Qur'an was influenced. It's that the author of the Qur'an is omniscient. He knows that there are going to be many different conceptions of the Trinity. So when he says, do not say three, it's an inclusive statement to say all of them are wrong. Second, the point that I made a quote from Dr. Branson was what you basically implied in the original statement where you said, well, it seems like the Qur'an is misrepresenting the Trinity because it's assuming polytheism or that there's one of three. I was addressing that issue to say, no, it can even be understood to be addressing monarchical Trinitarianism, which was the dominant view. And I believe the historical view, especially in that region. Was Mary considered a deity in any monarchical Trinitarian understanding in history? No, not as far as I understand. Then why does Surah 575 say that Jesus and his mother both used to eat food? Uh, because, it, see, the, the way, in the same way that the, the Bible actually has a fluid understanding of God, for example, it, it uses that, it's called Satan, the God of this world. It speaks of men as God. It calls Moses God. The uh, Quran, likewise, has a fluid way of 
speaking about God, for example, in chapter 45, verse 23, following down, it says, have you not seen those who take themselves as a God besides Allah? Now that person, when you go on to see, it explains who these people are. It says, they say, they say that there's nothing that destroys us except the passage of time. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like modern day atheists who say that, no, we're, we just die. We go back to the nature and that's it. There's no afterlife, blah, 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 blah. What does God say in the Quran? He says, they are making their own desires a God besides Allah. Okay. So it's perfectly uh, acceptable to say that, well, some people in the way that they understand Mary in their forms of directing prayers to her, almost at times even calling her and like in Catholicism as a second redeemer in Christ. Bruh. Christ, however you want to say it. Yes, these views are problematic, and it does not matter if the person explicitly says that we believe Mary is God. It still results in a systematic theological problem. I will, I will cover that, that part about how Catholicism speaks about Our Lady, um, because I don't think that's really relevant to the discussion. But yeah, that's a fair enough response when he talks about um, the ways in which God can be used. Okay, so the same surah, surah 5, uh, Allah says to Jesus, did you say to men, take me? and my mother for two gods besides a law. Now, what is wrong if I look at that and go, huh, I've got a law, I've got Jesus, and I've got his mother. Earlier in the same surah, it said that Mary eats food, which was an argument against her being a deity. And this is the only place anywhere in the Quran where three are ever mentioned together in this context. So why do you believe this is, is this a description of the Trinity? And if it's not, what's a description of? No, it's not a description of the Trinity. It's a description of people who falsely attributed divine qualities to things that are not divine. For example, Jesus and Mary. Again, we have the same example in chapter 9, verse 31, when it explains, have you not seen those who take themselves lords beside the law? And explicitly is, in that case, referring to monks and rabbis. Now, are there maybe, maybe there have been some select groups in the past that explicitly said, well, this monk or rabbi is my God or my Lord. Maybe, but that shows that what the Quran is actually saying is you have given divine prerogative and privilege to things that do not deserve it. That's what the Quran is addressing and notice that when the times that the Quran does mention three in reference to the supposed trinity it does not mention mary so if you're going to be charitable you should say well why didn't it mention mary in those texts except that surah 5 116 is part of surah 5 which also says surely certainly they disbelieve who say surely allah is the third of three and there is no god but the one allah so are you saying that surah 5 is inconsistent with itself or that we can't connect surah 5 no. 73 to 77 surah 5 116 what is the no. what is the third of three jake what's who are the three no, it's the fact that they, they're talk, talking in different contexts. Just because they're in the same surah doesn't mean that they have to be addressing the exact same point. That would be like saying, well, Dr. White, in John 17, 3, it says that the only true God is the Father. And then you say, well, Jake, hey, why don't you read down two other verses and see this? Well, just because they're addressing a different point doesn't mean that you can not make sense of them together. Of course you can. The first point where it's mentioning Mary is saying that, yes, they have given Mary and Jesus divine prerogative. And then the latter one is saying Allah is not a third of three. He's not in a class with two others. He's in a class of one alone. But they're the same content. We're not even talking about 116. We're talking about 73, 74, and 75. Are you literally saying that between 73 and 75, the topic changes? I thought you said 116, didn't you? I did, but I then read 73, which says, certainly this belief who say, surely Allah is the third of three. Yep. And it's 75 that says she used to eat food. Yep. So you have so you have one side, and this happened to me once before. I had a debate in London where this happened. So, so I'm saying Surah 5 is consistent with itself. If you read it through, you have third of three. Mary's not a god. Surah 5, 116, only a matter of sentences later. You have the same statement and you have three. You have the three. You're saying that the three of 73 is not the three of 116. Who then are the other two in Surah 573 when it says, surely Allah is the third of three? Three what? What's, what's it talking about? If it's not no, Allah, it's, it's, Mary, and Jesus, who is it? 
yeah, it's, it's going back. The, the point that was established, and you want to talk about what comes prior, chapter four came prior to this. So we have to understand these texts also in light of that. The point is, is that when the Quran says Allah is not a third of three, he's negating any trinity, any type of trifecta, whatever you want to call it, any type of three that you want to put together with Allah is unacceptable. If somebody wants to include Mary, if somebody wants to include the Son, if somebody wants to include the Holy Spirit, they're all wrong. It's answered in one full sweep. Okay. All right. So what is the ultimate authority for you as to what is true and what is an error? Okay. So we don't... Divine revelation. Easy. But divine revelation happens in two modes. One which is special, the other which is natural. I don't look at it as an either or. So for example, we don't pit God's revelation against reason. We understand that they coexist together and that scripture can be understood in light of reason. Okay. So we have maybe... I said this before and you seem to agree, but at the same time, you don't. I think that God is logical, that he cannot possibly do contradictory things, and that he cannot possibly reveal contradictory things. So when you talk about ultimate authority, yes, God is the ultimate authority, but guess what? He's granted me logic and reason to understand him, and that logic is not this separate and distinct thing that was created by the ancient Greeks. No, it's just like the Christians say. It's thinking God's thoughts after his. So mm -hmm. if there's a problem with my reason, there's either a problem with me or with the supposed revelation. But in reality, they are in unison. How do you know if there's a problem with revelation? You know, you know if there's a problem if you test it by different facts, when, whether it be when it comes to reason, logic, historical facts, empirical facts. Yes, the, the Quran puts its own book to a test, for example, says that if you find in it contradictions, then it's not from God. So that's a standard that it puts forward. Yeah, and the, news, and the, the Bible does the same thing um, when it comes to testing whether revelation is, is true or not. And yet when you're faced with possible contradiction. And I guess, for example, you could talk about uh, the Bereans testing uh, the preaching of St. Paul with the text of the Old Testament. You don't see it that way. I mean, you do, you not see, do you not see that you are setting up a standard? And in this situation, I have been very straightforward. If, if what happened in history took place, if Jesus said to the Jews, ego, I me, I am, and identify, if when he said, I am, the soldiers fell back upon the ground, all right? If Thomas said, my Lord and my God, if all those things were true, would that not be the most amazing thing that's ever happened in history? And would not all of human philosophy have to bow in front of what God did in history? If Jesus Christ actually claimed to be God and he was God, is that the question? If what, that... if what the New Testament records for us actually took place, would human philosophy be big enough to describe it? Uh, it depends. I, it, see, the thing is, for anything to be considered to be true, it at minimum has to pass the bar of logical coherence. If you don't agree with that, then yeah, we're on radically different terms. And so I review evidence in light of that fact. All I right, we're out of time. Is that right? We are. Okay, so I'll deal with the backlog of uh, of comments. So I've heard that Muhammad thought Christians believed Mary was a person of the Trinity. Well, that's kind of what they were debating. I mean, I talked with uh, Shia Alex when Shia Alex was Shia Alex, and not just Bonaventurian Alex. But yeah, uh, I mean, there's different ways to to view that one that he's talking about a certain heretical sect and then also that he that to just deny the claim and to explain it by a different reading. But uh, I'm not too convinced that Muhammad didn't think that. So um, James White, the Bible is the rule of faith alone. Also, James White, guys, the Bible uses distinctions in philosophy, but trust me, like, don't use them or you'll get confused. Honestly, it's, I don't get why people think it's so confusing, though. Like, what what is uh, like the, with the classical doctrine of the Trinity explained according to the historical catechisms of the Church? Isn't that confusing? Like, we we've in the past, and I mean, I've done it myself, catechized like eight year olds about the Trinity. <laughs> like, it's it's not 
I mean, it's a sublime mystery, but the the basics of it, the Nicene Creed level of it, isn't um, insanely confusing. So how do I start on Lagrange? Um, let me see if I have the book on my desk here. Uh, I was carrying it around and reading it this morning. Um, so anyway. But uh, his book, Reality, is really good. He kind of goes over the basics of... Um, Thomistic thought, and then comparing against Suarezian and Scotistic uh, thought. So, okay. I think his critiques of Henry de Lubac were very unfair, but his moral theology is fire and has helped. Uh, yeah, his moral theology is great. Honestly, I think it's some of his best. I, I, honestly, all of his work is the best. But uh, yeah, de Lubac, uh, he was he was a cringe lord. And uh, as, as uh, Lagrange, as St. Lagrange said, um, what was the exact quote? It is evident that Father de Lubac has not read and commented on the Summa Theologica uh, article by article. And that is very evident with uh, de Lubac. And it's kind of funny because um, with de Lubac and his view of um, uh, pure nature and uh, natural end it is refuted uh, there was a a sermon that was recently discovered from saint thomas aquinas and i think it was like 50 or 60 years ago so this was actually after this debate and it was discovered and published as one of his academic sermons on the holy spirit and it was uh, a sermon on pentecost and saint thomas like in a section in the sermon actually just like refutes the exact belief of of de lubac so that's kind of funny that that was found after the debate, and then it just destroys De Lubac, and it and it shows that Lagrange was reading Saint Thomas right, and that De Lubac was just uh, coping. So, are they addressing each other's argumentation? It feels it just feels pointless. Yeah, they aren't addressing each other's argumentation, and it, it's just terrible. They aren't addressing each other's argumentation. So that's why I'm here. So. Um, I recommend Thomistic common sense, the philosophy of being, and the development of doctrine. Yes, definitely. That's a great recommendation. I just got in, bro. What is your intro song? So dope. Um, that is uh, the the Song of Kings. That's the intro song. It, it talks about Our Lady, so uh, I know you're reformed. So better better hide from that. So James White is a nominalist, perhaps more of a Kantian. You know the debate, Jake. Uh, I. So we we did uh, kind of get into get into contact a bit a while ago, and uh, he wasn't really interested. So, unfortunately, I am just left to to reviewing um, his material and not having a direct debate with him. Maybe eventually, I think that'd be fun. Muhammad is omniscient. Muhammad is the author of the Quran, and Jake claimed the author was omniscient. Yeah, but with uh with uh, Muhammadan views of um the instrumentality. Of divine revelation uh it christian views are a lot more uh fluid when it comes to the instrument of revelation but uh muhammadan views are not as fluid and then also um smash that like button anon yes smash it uh smash the like button subscribe turn the bell notifications on because remember youtube has told me some of you do not have the notifications on make sure you turn those on and then also you need to go in your settings on your phone and turn notifications on for YouTube. Remember, be notified when I go live, inshallah. Um, but smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, smash the bell notification. And make sure you comment on this video and um, just just comment random stuff so the algorithm just shoots this out to everybody on Earth.
Palamas was wrong, said Tweet. Henry de Lubac works on Origin or Masterful, in my opinion. I've not read uh, that from de Lubac. I've read The Discovery of God from de Lubac. And I've also read his work on Medieval Exegesis, which is, which is one of my professors says, a fantastic and wonderful collection of Wikipedia articles. <laughs> which is kind of true, because it's sad with, uh, with de Lubac with Medieval Exegesis. He had so much um, knowledge. He was obviously a very prolific scholar. But he just didn't synthesize. It's so unfortunate he didn't synthesize. Is Jake an occasionalist? I don't know when it comes to uh, Sunni beliefs. Uh, we would have to get uh, Bonaventure on about um, explaining. Actually, you know what? That I think that'd be kind of funny. He made a chart about uh, different beliefs of different Muslims. Maybe we'll bring him on again and have him go over his chart. Don't forget to tell us that only 5% of the viewers are subscribed to your channel. Yes, that's true um statistics i think it's up to seven percent but uh youtube gives me statistics and stuff and only seven percent of you who are watching right now statistically are subscribed to my channel so uh that is that is very sad that makes me very sad so make sure you go and uh and make that seven percent go up to 100 percent because that's crazy if i had 100 percent let's just keep it at five percent but uh that would make me have almost twenty thousand subscribers if just all of you subscribed that would be amazing the problem with modern theology, basically too many words saying too little. Yes, it is so It is so just annoying. Like you go back to scholastic and uh, neo-scholastic uh, theology, and they say so much with so little words, but it's the opposite now. They, so, they say so much. Well, they have so many words and they say so little. Okay, let's continue. I just managed to turn my phone off before it started playing music this time. <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear it last time, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was nice music, so... Sometimes people embarrass themselves by the sounds their, their, their phones make. But mine was Scheherazade, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces of classical music ever. All right, we have Palestrina. 10 minute closing statements. And uh, Jake, you get to go first. An interesting fact Palestrina was actually the favorite composer of Pope St. Pius X, and he writes in an encyclical that it's his favorite composer. I was reading an encyclical by uh, Pope St. Pius X, and he writes that Palestrina is his favorite composer. And I was like, oh, dang. So <laughs> I didn't know he, I didn't know you just wrote about that. But uh, yeah, so Palestrina, listen to him. He's great. Okay, so I'm going to start my timer now. First of all, I want to thank Dr. White for hosting this debate this evening and Rich as well. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. I know that we, we got a little bit uh, heated there at certain times. I don't think it was anything bad. Uh, we were we managed to keep the timer pretty well and uh, have a discussion without a moderator. Like Dr. White said, um, he probably couldn't do that with many other opponents uh, as well as I couldn't. I don't need to mention names, but I think people uh, know some of the people that we're thinking of when we say that. So um, with all of our disagreements, I do appreciate uh, Dr. White for having me on and having this uh, you know dialogue. Uh, with that being said, uh, I have to address some points here, uh, especially considering the cross-examination section. I do want to point out to the audience that I don't think the majority of my arguments for the entire debate have really been touched whatsoever. And I, what I want to do here is I want to remind the audience what my five, I would agree to a degree. five main arguments were. Okay, So my five arguments were first this, the fact that the notion of the Trinity is a misnomer. So the idea of the Trinity, there is no such thing. There's many different conceptions of the Trinity. How they define being, how they define person is radically different. I'll give an example, which I didn't even give. We debunked that. And I'm just giving off the top of my head here. Okay. Take, for example, William Lane Craig's Trinity, in which he says that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God. But guess what? They're not fully God. In order to avoid tritheism of asserting that each one of them is fully God, he says that they're each part of God in the same way that a skeleton is part of a cat. Now, Dr. White would have the same look at frustration on his face that I probably do now, and with good reason. But what does that show you? 
that merely using traditional language of saying there's one being, three persons, they're not identical, all these things, these sort of Trinitarian catchphrases are not enough in order to, to explain and make a relevant difference between a Trinity understanding that is actually correct and biblical versus one that is false. Dr. White needed to give us clear definitions of these terms, which he failed to do so. And so because he failed to give uh, clear definitions of these terms, I'm sorry to say, but we've been invited to something that we literally do not know. I have no idea whether or not, and, and, and this is what I wanted to happen in the cross-examination section, section, I asked Dr. White a direct question. Is the Father is God an identity statement or a statement of predication? Now, I heard him say that it's not relevant. Now, the, the claim in and of itself that it's not relevant, and, and he kind of denied this, but I think we can go back and play the tape where he said, well, no, it doesn't really seem to be relevant, is just flat out absurd. Because as Dr. Craig says, that if these are identity statements, then they threaten the doctrine of the Trinity with logical incoherence. Now, I want to know from Dr. White if he agrees with that. Does he think that there's absolutely no difference between saying that the Father is God, meaning that he's identical to God, in the same way that Superman is Clark Kent, meaning identical to Clark Kent? Does he think there's no difference between that and... There is difference. And again, it's a minor virtual distinction. Saying that the father is God, meaning divine, an attribute or set of attributes predicated of the subject in the same way that Superman is strong. If he wants to try that's, to... Convince that's the definition. Though. I guess, you know, now, now that he says it's something which is predicated of a subject, because that would be part of the definition of a person would be a certain uh, subject. So me in the audience that there's no relevant difference between the two whatsoever, then he has failed to engage with the material in a legitimate manner. Now... Also, some of the other points I mentioned, which was the idea that the Nicene Creed results in the Son and the Spirit not being Asse and the Father only being Asse. Now, notice that Dr. White did answer and say that Asseity, or the idea of self-existence, that you don't have existence from another, is a necessary attribute of God. Now, guess what? This is the same thing that the Arians said, and they used it against Orthodox Trinitarians because they said that the way that God is to be understood is that he's fundamentally unbegotten, and hence why they said that the Son and the Spirit are not God. That's why the monarchical Trinitarians who do agree that the Son and the Spirit are not Asse, they say no, that Asseity is not a necessary attribute of God. Because if it is, and the Son and the Spirit are not Asse, then they're not God. Yeah, monarchianism, that's, I think what he's describing as monarchianism is basically just Arianism. But that's not actual monarchianism. That is not a conflation between the categories of being and person. Because remember, even if you make that distinction, to say that something could be mediated to another and yet it still possess Asseity, it's just abject nonsense. Now, Dr. White has made a lot about the idea of uh, what is what is primary, God or logic. God is primary, but logic flows from who he is. What he is and who he claims to be and what he reveals to us can never be in contradiction with logic. It is not something that is created by man. It is a necessary logical understanding. It is not something like a law of gravity or anything like that. So please don't get it confused. Now, uh, the other arguments that he didn't address. So he didn't address my argument about clearly defining us for us, the terms being in person and differentiating his understanding of the Trinity from other false ones. He didn't do that. He answered and agreed with me that the Trinity cannot be known through natural revelation. And he proudly embraces this. But guess what? Up until Christ, nobody really knew about the Trinity. To think that that is not a fun. No, 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 no. I am a firm believer in the explicit knowledge of the incarnation and Trinity among the, uh, as St. Thomas calls, the learned of the Jews. Firm believer in it. Now, the rest, it would be more of an implicit belief uh, when it comes to the the beliefs that they, the, the faith that they put in the prophecies of the prophets about the future Messiah. But with the learned of them, yes, they did actually explicitly believe in the Trinity. No, I will not elaborate. The fundamental problem is absolutely absurd. I don't know how could somebody possibly proudly embrace that. And yes, just a claim of uniqueness doesn't mean anything. My God is unique. You know why? Because he makes sense. He's omniscient and he's asse and I can load on all these properties. I'm not omniscient. I'm not asse. I am not unique. My God is unique, but yet I am still able to understand in the basic fundamentals of who he is. He does not contradict logic, reason, or anything of this sort. So there's a fundamental difference between contradicting reason and apparent contradiction, not resolving the apparent contradiction, and something that is ultimately uncomprehensible, but we still understand the basics of it and who God is. So there is a fundamental difference between that.
Um, lastly, I gave the argument um, of the distinction between monotheism and polytheism. Now, Dr. White uh, seems either to misremember or not accurately remember his statement to Roger Perkins, but I highly recommend that people go and watch the Roger Perkins debate and look in the cross-examination section when Roger Perkins was questioning Dr. White, and he specifically asked whether or not Dr. White believed in a three-minded God, and Dr. White was resistant to that language. He slightly modified it, modified it and said he believes in a God that has three centers of self-consciousness, each with their own proper will, meaning that they do different distinctions in, and do different actions in time. For example, the father uh, was not crucified on the cross, the son was. So the son performs a different action than that has to do with subjectivity. The father does. Now, if we have. And that's, again, he's misunderstanding the incarnation right there. Because that has to do with the subjectivity of, of what happens to the hypostasis. And that's according, uh, it's predicated according to his humanity, not according to his divinity. And since it's not predicated according to the divinity, it doesn't uh, come under the. Uh, the ideas of uh, inseparable operations. Crucified on the cross, the son was. So the son performs a different action than the father does. Now, if we have three persons, each with their own distinct center of self-consciousness and each with their own proper intellect and will, and you want to tell me that that's not three gods, then I lose hold of what the notion of three gods actually is. And now he wanted to say, well, they all have the same being. It seemed like what he wanted to say, well, they're one because they all possess the same nature. Well, take the example of this, Jake, John, and James. We each possess the same human nature, but how many men are there? There's three men, not one. And this is not a straw man of the Christian position because St. Gregory uses this example and he has to go to the absurdity of literally saying that in that case, no, there's actually only one man. There's not three men. And I can give the quote if anybody wants it in the future. Yeah, what St. Saint Gregory was, was talking about right there was he was trying to um, give us um, an analogy when it comes to a, a common nature and the distinction between nature and person, that's what he's trying to do. But uh, I mean, it's you're able to use this this analogy in an orthodox sense. And I myself uh, earlier in the stream used that analogy in an orthodox sense. But those who have taken this analogy too far, and there actually was some in uh, I can't remember exactly what his name was, but this was I remember off the top of my head, I read it somewhere in the eighth or ninth century. Somebody actually took this exact analogy from St. Gregory, used it, took it too far and was condemned by the church. So yeah, that that's actually a thing. And uh, again, what he said about uh, three centers of consciousness, three propers, wills and such. Gunther uh, brought this forth in the 19th century and was condemned by the Holy Office and was going to get condemned actually at the First Vatican Council, but the First Vatican Council got stopped short. The fact of the matter is, merely asserting that three things can have the same essence or same nature does not establish that there's only one being or one God. In fact, as Dr. White actually explicitly said, and let me get the quote here, he said, the being is what makes God God. Now, if each one of the persons fully participates and shares the one being of God, then they each have, each person individually has fully what it means to be God, meaning that they possess the fullness of the being of God, each individually in their own persons. If you have three things that qualify in order to be considered God, then you flat out have three gods. And the Quran's position, when it asserts at many times that this does result in polytheism, it is perfectly correct. Because if you have three things, each that fully sufficiently hold the things in order to be God, then you have three gods. And this is why Brian Leftow, who is a Christian, explicitly stated that social trinitarianism which dr white no distinction between sufficient and actual i see although he doesn't want to affirm by his own lips in a discussion with roger perkins and abdullah kunde seems to affirm a version of social trinitarianism he calls it a reformed paganism why because he's following somewhat in the catholic tradition that augustine's understanding of the tr uh, trinity you know what augustine's understanding of the trinity was his understanding was it was god loving himself so god the father is god loving himself himself is the son and so the distinction between the father and the son is only the dif difference between i and me now if you think that that works just read Augustine's De Trinitate. 
works out, fine, but that doesn't seem like the three self doctrine of the Bible. And with that, I thank you again, Dr. White, for my time. My time is up. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Okay, I too also would like to thank uh, Jake for joining us today. Um, I, I didn't think you got heated. Believe me, I've been in a few debates. <laughs> and I guess you have too. I'm not sure who you're referring to, but I know that you have some interesting uh, debates out there, even amongst the uh, Muslims. So um, I, I understand that. But uh, I knew that we'd be able to get through this without any difficulty whatsoever. There are a lot of people we couldn't. And so I, I do appreciate and look forward to uh, future conversations. Now, I want to just lay it out very, very clearly for everyone, because it's been said over and over again, I did not respond to this. I did not respond to that. I think a fair-minded person would go, yes, you responded to everything. And most of the response... Yes, you responded to everything, bro. We we unfair minded out here, unfair minded gang up in here. So I think like everybody in the in in the comments have been saying, uh, in in the live chat has been saying that James White did not respond to everything sufficiently. So uh, if you think, let, let's actually, I'm going to make a little poll right here, real quick. Um, let's say, did James White respond to? everything let's have a little poll real quick and we'll we'll see what happens yes or no gotta vote on oh yeah and then i did have one starred the tafsir islamic commentary of the earliest islamic scholars on the surah of the trinity supports what dr white says and not what jake says interesting i didn't know that can't confirm Okay, let's finish this up, and after this, I should get going. This was, Jake, you are conflating categories because you will not allow for the reality of how the doctrine of the Trinity was revealed. For example, you just, you just made this very plain. You said, well, but what about, what about the Jews? Or what about before the New Testament? And yes, that's called progressive revelation. And God, in his scriptures in the Old Testament, gave hints, gave prophetic ind indications. You see in Genesis 18 and 19, you, you have Yahweh walking with, with uh, Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre. Then you have and progressive revelation is a Catholic idea. And St. Thomas and Blessed Scotus, I've seen them both talk about it. So, yeah, over time, um, there's a certain development which can be uh, viewed within the way in which revelation happens, sort of from like seed to tree. That same Yahweh raining fire and brimstone from Yahweh in heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. You have those types of things, but not with the explicit, clear, revelatory nature that you have in the incarnation of the Son, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and then the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. This is the historical revelation of the doctrine of Trinity. It takes place in time and in history. That's called progressive revelation. It didn't all start from that, that particular point in time. It took place in history, and that's what we're dealing with. And so divine revelation determines the categories of proper philosophical expression of those divine truths, not the other way around. That's where we disagree, because you continue to, to force external authorities upon biblical revelation, and every one of your arguments, all of your arguments, are based upon the conflation of those categories. Now, I've heard you talking with others, oh, it's just ridiculous to differentiate, and yet none of you will deal exegetically with the reality that it is Yahweh who lays our sins upon the Messiah. That's the Father. But it, Jesus is described as Yahweh in Hebrews chapter 1, who created all things. And the Spirit sent by the Father and the Son is the Spirit of Yahweh, the fulfillment of Old Testament passages. That is the revelation that must condition and determine the categories that you're using. So you can, you can continuously over and over again say, well, I'm just using logic. No, logic only can only, we are made to think God's thoughts after him. That's right. And how do we know what God's thoughts are? By his divine revelation. You have natural revelation in the world, and then you have special revelation. Adam was dependent upon special revelation. God had to tell Adam, do not eat of that tree. Even Adam in the unfallen state was dependent upon special revelation. And so when you keep that in mind, the Bible shows us one being of God, yet three divine persons who communicate with each other. That's not quote unquote social Trinitarianism as if you've got three different gods. There's only one being of Yahweh. 
and three persons identified with that name and they communicate with one another. Yes, Jesus says... Depends on what he means by communicate. That is very obscure language. Father, glorify me with the glory which I had in your presence before the world was. They use... Because Christ has two minds. Personal pronouns and change verb forms so that you have communication. This is a basic Christian belief. The, the lamb is in front of the throne in the, in the vision in Revelation. And you can distinguish and it. It almost sounded like you were just saying, he actually believes that the Father, Son, and Spirit did different things. Everyone believes that. Of course they did. Through appropriations, yes. But uh, at intra, they have one will. And the operations are inseparable. That's, that's absolutely positively, fundamentally, the, the reality. But, but Jake's position forces conflation of the biblical patterns. The participation of the divine persons in the one being of God is utterly unique. And therefore, to demand that that relationship have some kind of analogy, some kind of fit into some kind of philosophical construction is the whole problem. That's why I said, if Jake's position is, is true, then God cannot be unique in any of the things that he does, because there has to be something from creation that can be made analogous to how this is. Simply saying, well, you can't tell us how the divine person shared the one being of God. You can't tell me how a law is eternal either. You can only assert it. Why? Because you have divine revelation that says so. That divine revelation happens to be true. It's not because it's divine revelation, but it's because it's found in the preceding scriptures. You said uh, that I, I proudly embrace uh, the idea that this was something that was revealed in history. Yes, like I said, that's called progressive revelation. That's a basic Christian belief. And by the way, the, uh, the example of Jake, John, and James, which you've discussed a lot in your videos and things like that, and your quotation from Gregory, um, here's the problem. Humanity is finite. Humanity is finite. This is sort of an illustration. We can't, humanity is a nebulous thing. This is where I disagree with that particular citation. I think it was a, a bad illustration. Is my participation in humanity, humanity is a nebulous thing that changes each and every day. There's a whole lot hum more humanity today than there was in the days of the New Testament, right? I mean, there's a whole lot more humans around. Does that mean humanity has gotten bigger? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. But the point is, the being of Yahweh is unlimited. And hence, how the divine persons partake of that one being cannot have any kind of created analogy. There's nothing you can compare it to. I've been asked by other Muslims, give us an example that would help us to understand how Jesus can be the God-man or something like that. And my answer always is, I can't because he wouldn't be the God-man if I could. So the uniqueness of the Christian message is exactly what the author of the Quran did not understand. The New Testament had not yet been translated into Arabic at the time of Muhammad's life and would not be for another 200 years. He may have, may have heard someone giving oral. Well, it, the, the, the fact of the matter is the, the Quran thinks that non-canonical scriptures are a part of what Christians believe. So there was tremendous confusion there. And that's why I stand back and I just go, isn't it strange that when we start talking about what the Quran teaches, that I'm the one going, you know, there's a consistency here in Surah 5 and Surah 4. And if you allow the consistency to stand, what it represents makes perfect sense, but it is misrepresentational of what Christianity believes. And you just simply go, well, that means it's impossible. And I go, you're the one that says that the prophet was illiterate. And you're just assuming this isn't what the prophet believed in the first place. And yet I see that when he meets with the Christians in Najran, that results in a change in his understanding. I can allow the Quran to be what it is in history. I don't believe that you can because of your theology. But again, I would suggest you consider very well the presuppositional nature of the filters produced, not by the Quran specifically, because the Quran doesn't interact with any of the Bible's teaching concerning the doctrine of the Trinity in a meaningful fashion. When it says three, it's talking about three gods. And when it says three in Surah 5, it's plainly talking about Allah, Mary, and Jesus. And so... With that in mind, what if you laid that aside and just considered what the revelation of the Gospels really gives to us about who Jesus was? And ask yourself the question, why is it that in the earliest documented Gospel that we have, we have Thomas saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God. These were the original followers of Jesus. And yet they knew something very special had taken place. And that, that very nature of that incarnation 
is what the philosophical categories of mankind can help us to explain an answer to some questions, but there comes a point in time where just as we cannot answer every question about God's eternity, both of us, we have to allow revelation to be the ultimate authority in all of these things. And I hope that's what people will do. Once again, uh, that's it for my time. Thank you very, very much, Jake, um, as I mentioned to you. Okay, this is done. Oh, man, I'm going to see if there's any final questions. Let's see. Okay. James White should be the first canonized Protestant for all the people he converted to Catholicism. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Is there no option for militant tomes? Responded to everything. Big if true. I responded to everything. Okay, then I need to check the... Um... Oh, 85% said no. So, sorry, Dr. White, but you did not respond to everything. Okay, thank you all. This was a mega stream. I think this is probably the longest stream I've ever had. Um, except the one... Empty After Dark I did. That was like four hours. But now that we've reached the end, um, uh, follow me on Twitter, Facebook. Make sure you subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Only 7% of you are subscribed. And if you are subscribed, only 10% of you have your bell notifications on. So make sure you turn those on. Like this video in order to make the YouTube algorithm just go nuts and share this with everybody. And also comment because that helps with the algorithm. And um, if you really love me, patreon.com slash militant Thomas um, become a patron and if you want to know more about the trinity go to uh, christianbwagner.com slash shop and also get the mug uh, the based militant Thomas mug if you all at the bottom there should be hunter's outlines and that will um, give you a if you buy um, the three volume set very easy introduction to um, trinitarian theology in there so I love you all thank you and it is Easter and our Lord has risen indeed.